Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, citizens of Gecko Nation. Uh, it feels like uh haven't done a show in a couple weeks. Um, that's kind of because we didn't. We took last week off. It's great to be back on the air with everybody. I see the chat room's filling up nice. What's up, everybody? Um, glad to be back doing it. Uh, let's go ahead and bring on Mr. Co-host Tim. What's up, Tim? What's happening, Dave? Did you say the date? Ah, I didn't say the date. I forgot. Thanks for reminding me. Gotta, Today I gotta is... keep you on toes. That's right. You know, I I miss. You know, we take a break for one week, and already I'm, you know, messing up the format. <laughs> Today is October twenty sixth, two thousand and fourteen. Almost time for Halloween, everybody. So that's gonna be fun. A uh, couple important announcements coming up. Uh, number one, uh, first week of November. All right, after Halloween and all the you know, fun of that. We're going to be doing a special auction in Gecko Nation Marketplace, all right? And uh, a bunch of people are getting together, uh, John Scarborough, uh, a whole bunch of people that, you know, breeders, and uh, we're going to be auctioning some animals off specifically for Christina's Animal Rescue. We had Christina on a few months ago, and uh, she runs a legitimate animal rescue operation here in Pennsylvania. Uh, it does a phenomenal job, always taking in big alligators and snakes and lizards, turtles, all kinds of stuff. Um, I think she's got, got a dozen alligators now. And uh, it's it's all costs a lot of money to run something like that. So what I want to do is I, I like that, you know, we have a good following now with Gecko Nation. So I want to do something to give back. And I think the best way to give back is to, help one of these rescues and um you know some some of the rescues a lot of great rescues out there yes Uh, we can only do so much though you know so i picked this one um and i hope you guys will like what we do Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be like a three-day auction it's gonna run from a monday to a wednesday so we're not going to drag it out too long because you know people kind of get their attention spans longer if it goes longer than a few days so um so that's going to be happening right after Halloween. All right, so get ready for that. Next thing I want to remind everybody about, very, very important, of course, and this is ending next week, okay? So we got one week left for the RAACA raffle, okay? Uh, It's reptile and amphibian, uh, I forget what the word, the letters stand for. What does RACA stand for, Tim? I forgot. I don't know. You were going for it there. <laughs> Reptile, Indian, Amphibian, Community, um, is it auctions? I think it's auctions. Yeah, something like that. But anyway, Racket does so much for U.S. ARC, okay? Jordan Russell runs it and just does an amazing job fundraising for U.S. ARC. And if you don't really follow what U.S. ARC is, you really should because uh, we're in danger of losing herpetoculture to uh, bans and government um, overreach, and it's just becoming a, non- a nonstop legal battle. 
and the legal battle costs money. So we have U.S. ARC out there fighting for us, but we need to support them with our money. So there you have it, folks. Get involved. Uh, the easiest way to uh, get involved is to, you know, uh, getting uh, get in on this rack of raffle. Okay, you can, the prize this time, the first place prize, is a trip to Costa Rica, and the tickets are like twenty bucks. So even if you don't win the first prize, first place prize, there's a second place and a third place, and I think even a fourth place. All like really cool animals, boas, pythons, stuff like that from uh, top breeders, and just to sweeten the deal a little bit and to motivate some people um, the the second time I'm doing this, but I am also uh, in order to encourage you guys to buy the RACA raffle ticket. Anybody that buys a RACA (laughs) a RACA raffle ticket, try saying that three times fast, um, will, and they sent, if they send me the screenshot on Gecko Nation, okay, on the post I made, of the receipt of your RACA raffle ticket, uh, you're going to get entered into another raffle, okay, for a really cool gecko from me. All right, so even if you don't win the, the Raka raffle, you have a, another opportunity to possibly win mine. So it's just my way of helping the cause. All right, guys, so hopefully you guys can uh, get in on that. All right, so. It's David, Reptile and Amphibian Charity Auction. That's it. Okay, cool. All right. Um, so there you have it. Very important, folks. All right. And if you guys want to just donate to US Arc directly, I mean, that's the coolest thing you could do. All right. Become a member, donate what you can, and just know that every dollar you donate, you're helping support herpetoculture. Okay. Because there's a very, very, very good chance that with all these new laws that they're trying to pass, we may not even be able to own any exotic animals in the future. So we have to fight legally to protect us. All right? It's so important. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. And I'm just reiterating for the new people that are just joining the show tonight. All right, so let's move on to some other things. Uh, one last thing about uh, I wanted to mention about uh, our sponsor, Dale's Bearded Dragons, okay? They are now uh, becoming the East Coast master distributor for FlexWatt, all right? So they're going to have FlexWatt heat tape, and FlexWatt is the is the top-of-the-line heat tape. It's not the imitation from Korea. It's none of that junk. FlexWatt is the good stuff. Um, they're going to have FlexWatt at all the shows they, they attend, and they attend shows from Maryland all the way up to Maine, I believe, or New Hampshire. So, you know, if you guys want to contact them them directly on their website or on Facebook for your FlexWatt, or you could see them at the show. And make sure you mention Gecko Nation Radio for a discount. All right, cool. All right, Tim, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been up to lately? Um, Not much. Last weekend we had the Long Island Reptile Show, which uh, went pretty well. Um, I actually was uh, had some geckos on my friend John Heiser's table. And so because of that, I didn't have too much time to walk around and look around. But um, I got to chat with Matt, who was there, um, not vending, just uh, hanging out at the show. And um, that was cool and met some new people and gave out some Gecko Nation radio cards. So hopefully uh, we'll have some new listeners uh, joining in tonight. Cool. All right. Well, you know what? I already see a bunch of 
uh, unfamiliar phone numbers in the call queue that are listening. So it probably worked. Probably do have some new folks listening. So that's that's awesome. All right. Well, um, let's see. Is there anything else? No, there's nothing else as far as uh, announcements that I wanted to say. So let's go ahead and uh, mention our impressive and amazing, totally cool sponsors. Check them out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. Longhorn Geckos is a father and son collaboration. Daryl and Kate Burton specialize in the best supertangelos, pastel raptors, white and yellows, and really nice wild types. Follow them on Facebook at Longhorn Geckos and on their new website coming soon. Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at expos in the northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforums.net. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, Look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. That's right, folks. And speaking of AB Dragons, they have a standard 5% off code for Gecko Nation radio listeners. And the uh, the, the code is GECKO, all in caps, okay? And that will get you 5% off anything they have for sale. Okay. Um, Tim, I have a very serious question to ask you. I haven't asked you this question in a couple of weeks now. Um, I hope you get it right. All right, so listen carefully. You know, we have a lot of new folks listening tonight. We have a lot of new people coming into the leopard gecko hobby and the gecko hobby in general. And we want them to get the best information. We want them to learn the history. And we want them to uh, find, you know, really good intel on what they're about to embark on. So what do you think, besides Facebook, what do you think the best place for them to go is? Um, I don't think Facebook should be even mentioned, but... um as I uh, emailed every one of my customers from last weekend's show, I recommended that they all go check out geckoforums.net. Congratulations. You're absolutely right. Well, I have to mention Facebook because you know what? 
it's tough getting people off of Facebook. I swear. I mean, you know, these people are finding a lot of people are a lot of great new people are finding the hobby through Facebook. So, you know, we want to try to get them away away from thinking that that you know that's the only place that they're going to be able to find their information. And you know, you're absolutely right. This, I mean, Gecko, I mean, um, Gecko Forums is the place for you guys to really learn the Gecko game. And if you're coming into this and you're going to take this seriously, there is so much that you're going to need to know. Um, a lot of you guys have really great ambitious goals of, you know, making yourself a little business out of this, and we're going to talk about that stuff tonight. And um, if you're planning on doing that, and if you're planning on doing it right, uh, you're going to want to know the history of these morphs, how they came about, who developed them, um, and by doing so, you're going to figure out who currently has the best examples of those lines, if you want to work with the best stuff. And it's kind of like any other, you know, uh, animal breeding operation or animal breeding um, community where, you know, some statistically some people will have the best genetics based on the lineages that they are working with and uh, the selective breeding that they're doing. And with the better genetics, of course, will come higher price tag. But uh, if you can afford to invest in the best animals that, you can find or can afford, put it that way, you know, always invest in the best animals that you can afford because in turn you'll be passing on to others those offspring and you'll be able to get, you know, those, the best amount of money for them also because at the end of the day, this, this costs a lot of money to do and it's not easy. Uh, Tim, you do it on a semi-small scale, right? So you know what it's like. It's, it's still expensive, right? Yes, it is. And I, I recommend that people uh, purchase the animals that they like, that they want to work with. If you if you're purchasing them for any other reason, it's going to get to the, somewhere down the road where you're where you're tired of caring for them, or it's too much work. If, if you work with exactly what you want to work with, you'll always enjoy it. You know, if if you buy them thinking that you're going to make money, that you're going to get rich quick, or um, that you look at it strictly as an investment. Uh, quality animal it's you're not going to have that passion for it and when you try to sell the offspring the customers are going to feel that as well so i recommend that people do you know work with the the morphs and the types of geckos that they like or any reptile that they like and uh and then you'll have the best success yeah that's good advice and you know i uh I, just in my last five years of doing this seriously, I've seen, I don't know how many breeders, like so-called serious breeders come and go. I mean, they've, they've gotten into this, they come, they, you know, come out strong out of the gate and then they quickly learn that, you know, it's just not, it's not as easy as they thought. And, you know, that a lot of them are selling their collections or bowing out and moving on to other things. And that's fine. I mean, if it's not for you, it's not for you stamina and endurance for it, you really seriously have to love this in in the core of your being. And uh you know, and you know what, a small percentage is small percentage of you folks that are listening tonight are those types of people. Not all of you are gonna stick with it forever. But whatever whatever you get out of this, it's gonna be a it should be a positive experience. Alright, so do your best to enjoy it and try to get others involved. That's what I always say. Um well, Tim, 
I'm feeling in a good mood, and I'm a little nervous about bringing Steve on. I think he might get me depressed but with the news. But uh, let's go ahead and take a chance and bring him on anyway. What do you say? Let's bring him on. <laughs> good evening, Gekonians. <laughs> What's up, Steve? How are you? What's going on? Pretty good. Long time no talk. I know. Seems like a while, too. <laughs> it does. We only I took like one the... week off. Why does it seem like it's been so long? I don't know. I don't know. It's so much going on. <laughs> I, see, I saw that awesome Captain America costume, Halloween costume you made on Facebook. That's great. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've nice. been working on that for about a month now. <laughs> It came out fantastic. It looks great. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny, too, though. You know, seeing you dressed up as Captain America is kind of funny. But great costume. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I always yeah. go out with out with my kids. I dress up all the time with them. <laughs> That's cool. So what do you got for us tonight? Are you going to depress me and make me want to jump out of my window? No, actually, I have all good stories tonight. Oh, thank God. You did it for me, huh, Steve? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Our first story out of Scotland. Scotland Animal Welfare Charity was alerted after a member of the public spotted a two-and-a-half-foot-long snake in the street. When Senior Inspector Bill Linton arrived, he was amused to find a toy snake that they trapped under a cardboard box. <laughs> so it was just they a toy. A, <laughs> they were they were freaking out over a toy snake. <laughs> yeah. All right, and. Sticking with snakes, a snake thought to have gone extinct in 1969 was spotted in a city in India. This is pretty cool. Um, A snake entered the compound of a residence in India. I'm not even going to try and pronounce the city. But (laughs) um, the frightened residents and passerbys did not know that they are witnessing a snake supposed to have been extinct since 1969. It was The snake was later identified as the Indian egg-eating snake or Indian egg-eater. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. All right. And leading into our last story, which is also a snake... A 20-foot python named Thelma, an 11-year-old reticulated python, the longest species of snake in the world, laid 21 eggs in the summer of 2012. This is despite having had no contact with a male in her four years at the Louisville Zoo in Kentucky. So She laid 61 eggs. This was two years ago. And there has been debate over whether or not she retained sperm, and that's how she laid them, 
Well, after six months of extensive testing on the shed skins of the mother, mother and her daughters, only six of the eggs hatched out of 61, so that's not very good odds there. But um, a study has been published in the Biological Journal of the Linnean Society confirming that Thelma was the sole parent through DNA testing they confirmed that she was the sole parent and there is no male involved. The research revealed that offspring were in fact the result of terminal fusion automixis, a process whereby cells known as polar bodies fuse with the egg to trigger cell di- division, effectively acting as sperm. That's pretty cool. Wow. Wow, that's- yeah, that is interesting. You know, that's kind of like the concept of Jurassic Park when, if you read the book at least, you know, all the, the dinosaurs were supposed to be bred for, were supposed to be developed just to be females so they couldn't breed. But then again, they they started laying eggs and stuff, and they uh, they figured out that there was because they had uh, frog DNA mixed in, and a lot of the African frogs can change sexes just, you know, if they're in an environment where, there's not a lot of females or males that they can actually change sexes, which is just incredible. But it just goes to show you that, you know, if, if all these other animals out there can change genetically due to their environments, what is going to eventually happen with people and, and our environments? And there was an interesting article that I just shared on the Gecko Nation radio Facebook page. You guys can check it out of that very concept of weird mutations in people that are occurring due to, scientists think it's due to overpopulation, but it just could be, you know, reactions to the stimuli of being in these environments that people are in. So they're they're thinking that, you know, an X-Men-like future could be possible where, I mean, I'm sure it's not going to be as extreme as that with guys shooting lasers out of their eyes, but, you know, there could be some interesting (laughs) new genetic anomalies occurring with people and any animals. So I think that's, I think it's fascinating. There's, there's actually um, uh, a guy who studies this uh, in reptiles. His name is Dr. Warren Booth, and I actually met him at uh, Tinley last year. Um, he he takes uh, the shed, just as Steve was describing. He takes the shed of uh, some offspring and, and the shed of the female, and he can do uh, genetic testing to prove whether they're, uh, they were um, produced um, solely by the mother or if they were produced um, by a pair of animals. And um, it actually happens more often than not. And uh, think about the the how wide the effects would be of, of this if it's happening uh, as often as it could be. Um, think about, you know, if, if you purchased a, a ball python or an expensive uh, morph of a certain animal, um, that's supposed to be het for, you know, some rare morph and you spend thousands and thousands of dollars on it and it turns out that the mother reproduced asexually. The father that, you know, was with her didn't actually sire the the offspring. Think about the monetary consequences uh, in the industry if if that's happening. So um, it's really interesting. interesting. He's studying it and and he has... um, a, 
multiple, multiple species of reptiles, snakes, lizards, all all different types that have that he's proven that have that have reproduced this way. Wow. I wonder if it can be stimulated by hormones too, and you know, like with uh, I wonder if they could make it happen. I mean, I know when when they go to breed African horn frogs and pixie frogs in captivity, they stimulate them to breed with horns, hormones as opposed to uh, producing reproducing a, a rainy season, which was what they're used to in, in nature. So I'm wondering if that can be done, and I wonder if that's being done. Um, who knows, right? I don't know. I don't know. Huh. The more I breed animals, the more I more I'm fascinated with genetics, and I'll tell you, the more I learn about people too, and and about us, just from observing, you know, generations of animals being produced. It's 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 so it's so interesting. So yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and fire up the flux capacitor, Steve. Are you ready All to right. take us back in time? Yeah. All right, September 28th, 2005, not so long ago, rare reptile hatched at the Fort Worth Zoo. In Fort Worth, Texas, zookeepers have bred and hatched Texas horned lizards. The zoo was the first in the state to hatch one of these reptiles. So that was September 28th, 2005. Wow, those are cool. I love those. those. Yeah. If they weren't anteaters, they'd be much more common. Oh, I know. Common. Yeah. Yep. I saw, That's the thing, I saw too. Some, oddly, oddly enough, I saw some baby ones, baby horned uh, lizard, horned toad lizards at the uh, the Hamburg show this time, this past couple weeks ago. Um, but somebody had some. Don't they almost constantly eat? Isn't it? They need you know, their, because yes. they. They're like yeah. dragons. They got to eat all the time. Yeah, and they they like being kept really warm and dry. And yeah, it's not for everybody. And people are buying them. And I and I was just thinking, I know some. I know most of these aren't even gonna. These people aren't gonna be able to care for them properly. And I hope, I'm hoping they were. But you know, I don't know. Yeah. They're tough species. Yeah. But all right. Well, what's going on in your collection, Steve? How's everything over there? Ah, uh, pretty good. I'm just. I'm just pairing every all the snakes up now. Everybody's getting paired up, and I'm hoping for a better season than last year. <laughs> oh yeah, and for by the way, Python. Uh, Wednesday geckos I'm were good a, this year. Okay, well Wednesday I'm sending out a bunch of geckos. Uh, I have to do a shipment, and um, why don't I send you out my uh, fire too on Wednesday? Is that cool? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'll let I'll let you know. I have to check to make sure someone's going to be home, but, okay. but I'm pretty sure I'm tr- pretty sure that'd be good. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's ready to go. He's huge. He's getting. He's definitely in breeding size. So, you know, if you can use awesome. him for something cool there. Yeah. Steve, all right, Steve. Steve, thanks yeah. so much for giving us all good news tonight. Oh, yeah, you're very you. very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Until next week. All right, I'll see you there. Yeah, give out your information real quick, Steve, so people can find it. Check me out on Facebook and YouTube under BC Barker Creations. That's right, folks. All right, Steve, until next time.
All right. I just want to mention um, one other thing. Uh, Gecko Nation Radio and Herpentine Radio are affiliates. So if you guys would like to uh, listen to another really uh, good herpetocultural-related uh, weekly radio show, they're on Saturdays. Uh, you guys can check them out, Herpentine Radio on Blog Talk. All right. What do you say we go ahead and bring on our our guests, uh, Tim? What do you say? Let's do it. You ready? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, Mr. John Scarborough and Mr. Keith Kiggins, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. How you doing? What's up? What's up, Keith? You there? How you doing? Yeah, good, good. Good to have you guys with us tonight. Um, looking yeah. forward to an interesting discussion on basically what do we talk about. I mean, everybody knows pretty much who you guys are, so we don't have to do, like, formal introductions. Um, folks, if you don't know who John Scarborough is or Keith Kiggins, both of them have been on past shows, in fact, recently. Uh, Keith was on about a month ago, and John's been on recently, too. So you guys can check him out. Uh, two guys that know a lot about the Leopard Gecko game, and uh, Tim and I tonight are going to talk with them about just uh, maybe a little bit of the past of Leopard Geckos, but we'll talk about the present. And in the second half of the show, maybe we'll... Uh, Try to contemplate the future, but uh, why don't we why don't we get into one of the things uh, the feedback I got from a lot of people in the group today was about the business side of things, and you guys certainly know about the business side of things, and uh, I as well, and Tim knows a little bit about it too. Uh, why don't we talk about it? What are some of the struggles uh, that new people coming into this are going to have, and? Uh, I'll just pose it, uh, we'll, we'll alternate. I'll pose it to you first, John, and then uh, Keith, uh, you can weigh in on it too. So why don't you guys go ahead. Um, well, there's <laughs> there's a lot of struggles in this. And, you know, I think one of the things I always tell people too is that you have to be really passionate about this uh, work to even do it. You know, it's not something that, if you're just a business guy trying to make an investment, you see some expensive reptiles on, you know, a website or something and think, oh, I can make a fortune doing this. It's not the right fit for you. So it's definitely something where you got to be, you know, really, really passionate about and really, you know, something you'd go after, um, even if you didn't make any money doing it, you know. And I always say, tell people that, you know, if I won a million dollars tomorrow, I would still be doing this. I would just probably hire some people to help me. So, <laughs> Um, right, but yeah, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's a struggle in the beginning for sure, you know, and yeah, most people can't do this solely, um, even once they get involved for a long period of time. But you know, it's, it's definitely a big commitment. And if you're gonna, you know, the more animals you get, you gotta, you gotta realize that that's just that much more commitment of your time and resources and money, and those things never stop. Animals can't be put on hold. Um, I wish I could put everything on hold for a week for me to catch up, but it just doesn't happen. So, you know, even if I go on vacation or anything, I, you know, vacations are almost non-existent for me. So, you know, even going out for a couple of days and I come back and it's a heavy workload when I get back. So, um, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily for everyone, but you know, it is, if you're very passionate about it, um, it does take some investment and money. Um, you know, I try to, I try to run as lean as possible. I try to keep my cost down to, you know, as low as possible, because that's really the only way to, to do even decently in this, this hobby. So, you know, I breed my own feeders. I haven't, I haven't purchased any feeders except for a few thousand crickets here and there, um, for, you know, half a year now. So I, it's really, 
things like that really help out and help keep the cost down and you know let me it lets me do other things too like invest in new animals which i think is key also you got to be pretty cutting edge in this business where if you kind of let things go and you know you don't really you know reinvest and you lose motivation if you're just breeding the same thing over and over you know people are not going to be stay interested so you know i put a tremendous amount of money into my animals in the last couple of years so it's you know and it pays off you know it really helps you create those cutting edge animals and those things that people are looking for um but yeah you know and i, I other breeders told me this when i first started uh, in in the in the hobby and you know one thing is most people won't see a profit for four to five years at all you know it's if you can probably do it very small but and maybe see some money depending on how lucky you are and you know how much you know care you put to your animals but for the most part if you're trying to grow this business into something sustainable it's going to take years to do and you know it's not saying that it can't be done because it definitely can but you got to be passionate about it you got to be able to put an investment into it and you know the driving motivation you know it's got to be there it's, and it's going to get you know be patient it's going to take a while you know that's why a lot of people get out in two or three years they think oh man it's only going to take me a year or two to get up to size and just doesn't happen that way <laughs> you know no, but definitely not what do you yeah. think keith john i mean john touches on a lot of it and i i know i talked about it at the end of the show i did before um you know, I think it's important to stress that just you don't have to breed these animals in large quantities, and you don't even have to breed them at all if you don't want to. And for the beginning hobbyist, um, so it's and it's written and it's been said and repeated. Have an outlet if you're going to produce the animals. Have an outlet, um, and that's you know my my best advice still is focus on your infrastructure. And maybe that's just because that's what I do in the computer world is infrastructure where, you know, I'm more about a baseline. I'm more about I need all my racks set up the way I want them. I want it, my operation to run efficiently. And then I worry about the animals that I need to put in those tubs um, because I think most of us, and, and I'm guilty of it completely, most of us just produce too many animals and have no place to put them. Um, you know, and my biggest advice is to focus on things like thermostats and racks and heat and environmental factors and then start collecting your animals and learning your animals because you can't sit on Facebook and learn this hobby. You have to learn the animals and only they tell you what they need, when they need it, and if they need more of it and if they don't need it. So uh, that you know, that's my take as far as you know, I think husbandry needs to be stressed as a baseline, and then you know, business is a dirty word, but the bottom line is if you really want to do this, you should best be studying up on your business because cutting costs like John does with no feeder costs, that's huge. I mean, I spent hundreds of dollars in feeders. Um, yeah, if I could do it differently, I would, but not all of us in that position. So, you know, I have to be more efficient. I have to say, you know, what what's my bottom line here? And you know, I'm not doing this at, at the scale that John does, nor am I making my living doing it, so I'm fortunate in that respect. I imagine 98% of hobbyists are, and you know, probably a great many. You know, there's there's not a ton of people that are doing this for a living um, in the grand scheme of things, but it, it's doable, and you can do it, and it's truly, I mean, it, it's realistic. Um, you know, one of my friends that 
he quit his all his jobs and did what John did and I mean he, he has it laid out. He knows exactly how many feeder insects he needs to go through in a year. He knows how many geckos he needs to produce. He has that many tubs specifically set aside for them. And he does that with all of his animals, snakes, lizards, whatever. So um you know, it's it's Treating it as a business, I think, is uh, an important factor. And um, as, as dirty of a word as that is, um, if you're going to be successful, you you probably want to, at the very least, understand why the business runs the way it does and how to um, do it the way that will work for you. So, right, I agree, yeah. and. The business end of it, uh, I think um, understanding that, you know, it does cost money to do this. And the only way any one of us, even you folks listening, if you guys want to do this, even on a small scale and break even, you're going to have to learn how to do some marketing. And you're going to have to learn a little, just like what Keith said, you're going to have to learn a little bit about business. And sometimes it's not something you really, it's not for everybody. Sometimes, you know, business, I'll tell you the truth, for me, uh, the ins and outs of taxes and business is kind of confusing for me. And I, I kind of have a mental block about it. Uh, but I do the best I can with it. And, you know, it's it's not for everybody. But I think you guys listening should embrace it a little bit. Um, I don't think making up a name, ABC Geckos, and uh, which I think is a requirement, but I don't think making up a name and making up a Facebook page is the only thing that is going to make you any bit successful out there. I mean, everybody's doing that, yes. And we do have a million different types of gecko pages out there. It's kind of hard to figure out who's who and uh, what kind of genetics they're working with. But um, And that's one of the things that the new people are facing. So, John, what do you think um, you can say to people like that that are getting involved now and they want, they are considering making this into something more, what what are some of the first steps they need to take? Um, well, I mean, it, I first say that, uh, I mean, if you're going to breed, you know, you're going to start a business. You know, not all businesses make money. And even if you're, even if you're in the hole every year, you still are creating a business because otherwise you're going to be keeping all these animals. And if you're selling these online and doing that, you, you have to create a business and that's the way it is to it. So might as well, even if you're going in the hole, you might as well not go into the hole as bad, you know, or try to break even. And so you got to think of if if you want to, you know, a lot of a lot of the money I make with like say leopard geckos and stuff funds my other stuff that I kind of consider my fun stuff, you know, that I don't really make anything. If anything, I'm definitely in a hole on, you know, some of the other species I work with and some of the things are fun and a lot of those things I I keep and I get just because they're for one thing I like them a lot and I, it keeps. You know the boredom. Did we lose him? Hello, can you hear me? No, he's yeah. Yeah, I hear you fine. Can hear you. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, those the other species and other things. You know, keeping it exciting is important to me. You know that that keeps me motivated. And you know, when I'm going through you know ten fifty one racks of baby tubs, you know every week. You know, it's (laughs) it takes it takes some motivation, some you know. especially because you're doing it on your own. There's nobody, you know, sitting behind you besides the animals telling you, you got to do this, you know. And um, 
So, yeah, I think, you know, even if you're starting off and even if you, you know, unless you're just keeping them as pets, you got to kind of think of it as a business. And you got to think, you know, I got, I can't spend so much money on this or that, you know, or I can't just buy whatever I want here or there, you know, or, yeah, I mean, it's on your money but and your time, of course. But, you know, thinking about these things, how you're going to sell them, as Keith said, is very important. Um, you just can't put them on a small Facebook page with a hundred likes and expect you're going to sell every animal you produce because it's just not going to happen. So promoting it and and putting, you know, when I, when I run low on sales, I start, you know, I I spend that time that I'm not shipping out geckos and I start doing advertisements and I start posting on forums and pushing them around. So it kind of balances out when I, when I don't have a lot of time because I'm shipping and, you know, sending out geckos and my sales are good. And then when my sales are bad, I spend that time, you know, posting ads, and even even where I'm at now, you have to be doing the ads, and you have to be promoting yourself, you know, all the time to to really, you know, keep those animals, you know, moving. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck with tons of animals that you can't sell, or, you know, can't get rid of. And I think that that comes down to you know not being lazy about it. You know, I know there are there are people that that don't want to put in the work to try to really sell these animals, and they don't get the prices they should for them. And they get discouraged about that, and they, you know, they resort to other things, is, you know, posting them on auctions, or they post them, you know, super discounted prices. And I mean, it's good to have discounts and stuff, but you know, when you're just blowing them out for, you know, not what they're really valued at, you know, it's I don't think you're really putting the effort that you should to to really sell them. That's a good point, and you know, the people that are buying these like higher end animals at really big discounts should should be aware that. You know, yeah, they may be getting a good deal, but um, you know, everybody watching is kind of going to know what you paid for it. So chances are, you're not going to get any kind of good money for the offspring that you produce. And I don't know, it, it may not work to your benefit either. Um, uh, just from my perspective, what do you guys think? Do you think uh, do you think that will affect the market value of some of the animals in the future? Go ahead, Keith. Sorry about that. No, I, Hello? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out this phone, and it is acting odd, so I wasn't doing anything. We can hear you, okay. Can you hear me? Now I can, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to uh, change something on my phone, and it wouldn't work, so I didn't uh, mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. Uh, well, I, can go, I can go ahead and answer, Dave. That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Um, go ahead, John. Yeah, well, I I think you know, it, it, of course it affects the market. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that affect it. You know, and the big thing is perception. When people see geckos that are, you know, they they thought were valued higher, and they see them sell for lower amounts, do whatever reason, whether somebody's selling them, um, you know, whether it's an auction or whether it's a major discounted price, or you know, it's it does affect the market for sure. You know, and sometimes I have I have too many of one gecko, like in my opinion. But I won't post every one of them for sale because I don't want to. I, I don't want to flood the market with fifty of them or put that perception out that there's tons of them out there, or you know that they're not selling. You know, it's it's a lot of its perception on these things. And you know, it's one thing I've, I've told customers that are you know worried about purchasing a, a higher amount or a higher dollar animal. And it's you know some of the things I don't I don't flood the market with a specific animal, and I don't you know I don't get on there and sell you a five hundred dollar animal and then you know, push it for a hundred bucks the next year, you know, most of my stuff, you know, I, I keep 
I, I keep at a reasonable level for a long period of time. And I think that's the way it has to go. You know, it's, it would be easy for me to throw out a bunch of animals at way lower prices and get rid of them. I'm really, I have a ton of animals at this time of year and it's, uh, you know, it's hard for me to take care of that many, but I'm not about to just destroy the market on it. And I think if anything, because I work with specific morphs, if I sell certain, certain morphs way too cheap or I, I, you know, I blow them out really too quickly, like in an auction situation or something, I'm really hurting myself. You know, because that's I'm the one selling that, and that animal, you know, over time goes down in in price just because of it. I mean, we've seen it in the ball python market, you know, especially where prices have just gone, you know, ridiculously low. And it's a yeah. lot of factors, of course, but you know, there's there's a lot of people pushing these animals at lower prices. Good thing we have in leopard geckos, though, is that you know, genetics and and buying from the right person mean a lot of a lot to different breeders you know um somebody was telling me that they saw a white and yellow radar for like 300 bucks the other day or something like that i think it ended up being a lie but still they said they they saw one for that price and i'm just like i sure you know i would never buy that animal because i don't know where it's from i don't know what it's at for you know anybody can you know possibly produce that from junk animals you know but it's really taking that pride in your the animals you have and not, you know, somebody that cares about what's in them and not the hidden heads and stuff that are in them. So, I mean, you, right. you can buy a white, white male radar from 10 different people and get, you know, genetically 10 different animals. And, you know, it's just not worth it to cut corners a lot of times. Yeah. When you, when you, you know, I, I don't know if I, maybe I'd be tempted for, you know, 0.2 nanoseconds, but then I think about it. Well, when I go to sell it, People are, you know, anybody that's going to be interested in that is going to want to know the history, the genetic history, and they're going to say, well, where, what's the lineage on this gecko? You know, where did the gene- genetics come from? But I can't honestly say they came from, you know, Ron Tramper or John or somebody. Uh, you know, somebody's not, they're not going to buy that gecko, and, and they're within their rights to not buy it. And, uh, I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, when, I guess when you take this very seriously, genetics is everything. Um, one of the things, I don't know how, how you two guys are, and Tim are affected by this, but one of the thing that, things that affects me um, is, you know, I get a lot of people coming into the hobby, and which I think is great, by the way, but uh, a lot of people are, you know, making the, the common beginner mistakes. And uh, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the beginner mistakes that people make. I've made them. We've all made them. So... Don't feel like it's bad that you did. It's just part of the learning process. But what, one of the ones that frustrates me a lot is what morph do I have? And it's only because I've been posed this question a million times now at least. But, you know, you want to tell people it really doesn't matter what morph. If you have to ask what morph you have, then your gecko is, you know, worth $5 at the most and, you know, it's really just a pet animal that could make a great pet for many years, but it's nothing, you know, that that any breeder would consider, you know, for a serious breeding project. Um, how does that affect you guys? We'll start with Keith. Does that question get posed to you a lot? Well, I, yeah, I see a few. I mean, I catch an email every now and again, somebody wanting some help with their animals, and I think the, I mean, I think the important, uh, I think the immediate assumption we're making is that everybody is needing to breed these things and it, as a beginner you need to define what are your goals what exactly are you trying to do are you trying to breed them because you want to understand the process of egg hatching I think that's super cool and I don't have a problem with that 
Um, do you think you're going to, you know, be able to, are you going to turn this thing into some sort of business, sell, all that good stuff? Well, then you probably better, you know, maybe think your way through things a little better. But, um, yeah, it's certainly a beginner mistake. The Craigslist saves, the, the Petco saves, and the Petco saves. But, uh, yeah, guess what? We all bought animals in those places way back in the day, I bet you. I know I did. So uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're trying to become a player, so to speak, in the market, um, you know, that's, it's probably not the place to start. If you're getting your kid a pet, different story. Um, you know, that's a common one. Husbandry, I think, is still pretty critical. A lot of people still relying on heat mats, aquariums, and things of that nature. And their animals aren't going to thrive, probably not going to suffer. But, um, you know, just things of that nature that, uh, you know, I stress starting out small and starting out learning to understand your animals is more important than jumping in feet and buying a rack and 17 geckos and, you know, just going nuts. So that's kind of my take on the beginner thing is you just give yourself time to learn and have fun learning. I think a problem that, you know, as us as breeders we have sometimes is we, we automatically assume, kind of as Keith was touching on and how, we don't automatically assume these people are breeding these animals. And I think I don't disregard that question too much. You know, I always answer everybody or I at least try to. And if I don't answer, it's just because I, you know, got busy or I, you know, missed it somehow. Um, but I don't mind those so much. I think a lot of these people are just people that just bought a gecko from PetSmart and they're just interested. They're getting online. They're just, you know, getting their feet wet in it. And they're like, oh, I wonder what morph mine might be. They're not planning to breed it. And I think we as breeders, we get this tendency to always feel like these people are going to go out there and try to breed this animal automatically and make a bunch of money because they see that. And it could be true in some circumstances, but, you know, that's kind of, you know, labeling everybody the same. When a lot of people, when a lot of people are just wondering what they have and they're just interested about it, you know, I, I see a lot of these pet smart geckos that are probably max nose or something like that, or jungle type pattern. I mean, you know, it, it takes me, you know, probably more less time to just answer them super quick in a one sentence answer and rather than sit there and cringe about it, you know? So for me, I just try to, I, I might be a little bit blunt and quick about the answer or short, you know, I might not go in too involved, but I, I will answer you, um, you know, and I'll just say, you know, it looks like a max, no jungle, no het or unknown hets. You know, I always put that at the end because obviously there is no, uh, known hets on it. But I mean, I think, I think we, we as breeders, we need to realize that a lot of these people are probably not going to be breeding anyway. So it's not it's not going to harm to answer the question real quick, you know. And I mean, if somebody says, "Oh, I'm going to breed and make a bunch of money," then maybe we should, you know, set them straight a little bit. But yeah, it's a it's a common question. I get it all the time. Everybody gets it all the time. I get a, a lot of basic questions. I try to do, you know, my care sheet covers almost everything. So I send them to that, and if they don't read my care sheet, they you know they miss the question. Well, you know that's pretty much everything's answered on there, and everything uh, other videos that I have on my YouTube and stuff answer pretty much all these questions too. So mm-hmm. you know I can refer people really quickly to those, which makes it easy. Yeah, you know Ron Trepper's book is out of print, and there's no copies left, so I can't even you know recommend that book anymore to them. Do you guys know of any hmm. other good? Leopard gecko books that are out there. You know, I, honestly, I think there's enough information on the internet that you don't really need it. And I'm just saying that because I'm selfish and I 
put a lot of time into my website, and I think people should go to my website. But, um, you know, I've got all the Tripper books, and there's a lot of repetition and all that. And, um, you know, it's not new information. It's not rocket science. So it's sad because it's they're great resources, so if you can get your hands on them, do it. Um, like I say, I've got all of them. I can't find my first one with Philippe de Vosterly back in 98. Um, I lost it, apparently. But, uh, but, I mean, there's websites. John's website, VMS Herp, has some of the best genetic information you're ever going to find. Um, if you want to learn genetics, that's where I send people, period. I don't care about leopard geckos. I care about Punnett squares and, you know, simple recessives and codominance. And, you know, what, what are genetics? What does it mean? when we talk about genetics, rather than just say, you know, trimper albino, bell albino, and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, I don't know any real great books, but I think they're all very repetitious anyway. And I think there's plenty of websites. Geckoforms.net's got plenty of information on it if you're willing to look. Um, so that's kind of where I, that's, that's where I send people when they ask. Okay. Well, I mean, I agree partly in that, but I also... I think having a I think having a handbook to refer to is kind of like, um, you know, you're not going by different opinions online. It's be, I mean, of course, you're going by somebody's opinion, but it was a published opinion, so you know it can be kind of relied upon. I mean, so if you're new, I mean, I think having a book is essential. I mean, that's just my opinion. I think a book is very important. Um, I grew up reading books, and I know things times are different, and th- everything is online, but a lot of times you don't know. You know, or you're unsure, and you're going to get varying opinions and varying ways of doing it. Um, you know, I don't know, but uh, you, you guys will. If you guys listen to our advice, you'll find your way. Uh, you'll, and it's it's not, you know, it's not for the faint of heart either. Now, a lot of new people are going to experience competition, and competition in business. You know, if you're not prepared for it, well, I think everybody's going to have growing pains when it comes to dealing with competition on any level of any business, on any level of any game. And, you know, some of you folks out there probably were, maybe you were very competitive in sports and you may have a good grasp on dealing with competition. Folks that don't, um, it's a it's a new ball game today. I mean, people on Facebook can be very, uh, I don't know, adversarial, very um, just plain mean. And we see a lot of new folks trying to get a jump on the game by, you know, coming in very loud and just, uh, I don't know, trying to tear down big breeders and all kinds of crazy stuff. You guys see it. Um, What do you think, what kind of advice would you give to new people about competition in business in the Gecko game? Either one of you guys Um. can take it first. Uh, I'd say that, it, you know, it's very intense out there and you definitely, you just got to, I've always kept a position where I kind of stay out of everything. I, I pretty much stay friends with almost everybody, you know, when somebody completely attacks somebody else, I'm not going to, you know, you know, totally disregard it or anything, but, you know, it, staying out of it's the best procedure, you know, the more you get involved, the second you post in one of those, those, you know, on one of those comments and stuff, unless you like doing this, you know, you're involved, and people are going to start calling you out, and people are start, you know, giving you problems about it, you know. And I just try to say I'm as honest as I can be about the business, and I've always had that policy. I try to be as completely honest about everything, you know. I rarely make up new names for animals, you know. It literally has to be like something, 
you know, five generations in and line bread. And I, I try to be completely honest about something, you know, and I think that's key. Like if, if you're completely honest about things, you're not trying to deceive people. People are not going to have a reason to come after you for these things, you know, and they're not going to, they're not going to feel like you're trying to pull a fast one on everybody, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, certain breeders have, but it's just, you know, it's definitely happened. You know, it's definitely, you know, people have, try to you know it's a, it's a there's a marketing side to this business and sometimes the the good marketer can make a lot more money than the guy that's completely honest but i'm willing to accept that you know and i'm not willing to disregard my reputation for that you know i let my animals speak for themselves you know anybody can go to my facebook page and look at my pictures and you know i think a lot of the animals speak for themselves on what what i've done with them so um you know, just get, just try to stay out of it as much as possible. If you're serious about this and serious about keeping your name good, you know, keep away from it. You know, it's the best advice out there. You know, you can try to help people out, but sometimes when you get involved too much, you get somebody that's, you know, your typical internet expert that's going to go ahead and start bashing you or, you know, they're just going to do it for whatever reason. You can really let it get to you. And it gets to me too. So, you know, for me, I just really stay out of things as much as possible. Yeah, John's advised me to stay out of things too, and I'm going to start taking his advice a little more. I just get I get uh, drawn into a lot too, and it you know I I don't know. It's always sometimes when you defend yourself and you defend whatever someone's attacking, you wind up looking worse than that person. That's what I found today. So yeah, I, I, like I think I think you're a you're a great guy, Dave. I know that I can see that in you. Like, I think you let things. You're a very passionate person too, though, and that's sometimes when somebody says something about your stuff, you get very upset about. It. And I, you know, we've had lots of conversations where I tell you just to hang back and you know just let it go. <laughs> it's really the way to go <laughs> with this stuff. You know, it, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes when you feel so strongly about things, it's hard to. But you know, it's just something you have to do. You know, otherwise you're just going to keep yourself alive with it. Well, well, part of being the host of a radio show is, I guess, talking and expressing a lot of my feelings. So um, I will. I just want to come out and say something that has been bugging me a little bit lately. And I and I think a lot of people out there should hear this and, and maybe react to it in a positive way. Um, folks, we really need need more people to take the U.S. You know, the, the U.S. Arc fight seriously. And you know, seeing people not buy raffle tickets for the racket thing and seeing them struggle and you know, that that upsets me. It really does. And it it makes me feel like there's a you know, just apathy out there. Like people just don't care anymore. And you know, like when when we're when, when our animals are outlawed, are you guys gonna care then? I mean seriously. I mean it just today it seems like people just don't care about anything. I don't know. And it it upsets me. It really does. And because I'm so passionate about this, it gets me down in the dump sometimes. I mean, how do you guys feel about that? Oh, I strongly agree. I mean, I put it on my first page now. I have a link to US Arc on my my homepage now. Um, what I'm what I'm doing recently too, um, and I think you should do this, and others should also, is if you go to usarc.org.org um, .org and you go and to the top and you there's a there's a thing that says print promo at the top and you can if you go to the 2014 promotional flyer for us arc and just uh open that up and then print that out in every box you send out a gecko to somebody i include that flyer with it now and i think that's 
I was thinking about it in depth a lot, of, and I was, you know, the real a big problem is that we have only the people, you know, at the the upper end of the scale, like you know myself or, you know, even the bigger guys that really put a lot of effort into this and put money into it or don- donate, you know, and we really got to get other people involved. And I think if if you're sending out a gecko to somebody and they're already super excited, they're going to read everything that you send with them, you know, rather than you just sharing a link on Facebook. You're really getting it directly to the people that are interested in this stuff, and the fact that they just bought a gecko from you really knows it shows that they're gonna they're really gonna be in, interested in in that situation. And it will, I think, it will have an effect. And I mean, besides me, like you know, donating animals for auctions, and you know, me putting money to the U.S. Ark, you know, I do as much as I really can at the moment, and I plan to do more, but. You know, even though I just I breed geckos mainly, you know, it's still something that can come down the line and affect us. You see how extreme these animal rights groups are, and you never, you know, it's it's amazing that, you know, how how crazy these guys are. They don't want you to own a dog or cat. They're just not going after that first. They're going after, you know, your your big snake, and then it's going to go down the line, and they're going to say that our leopard geckos are invasive, you know, and then because they're invasive in one town in the south of florida or something they're gonna you know ban them from here to you know wyoming to utah or whatever you know and it's 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 scary it's scary it's at the point where you know we could lose this all together how sad would that be you know i i couldn't imagine like you know this world being without you know being able to get you know purchase an animal or whatever you know and it's I don't know. I think we got to be more responsible as breeders too. I cringe at thinking about all the wild caught animals that you know. Every time we see one of these situations where it's like one of these extreme animal cruelty situations where either somebody was hoarding animals and let them all die, and they got you know the neighbors complained about the smell, or or you get a situation where um, you know they they were trying to smuggle in a bunch of animals and you know they were confiscated with half of them dead. I mean that's got to stop on our level. You know we got to call out. It's a tough thing because we don't want to call out the people. You know we don't want to shed light on this as much as possible because then we you know we do more harm to our community. But at the same time we got to you know stop these people and not promote it. You know I really you know some some wild caught is okay, but when you're when you're bringing in you know you know say for instance it's whatever whatever species it is if you're bringing in you know five hundred a thousand of them. I mean, there's no reason for that. There's really no reason. And I just, you know, I feel pretty strongly about that, just not to exploit our hobby. You know, some people do, and we, some people defend it no matter what, you know. We'll defend anything that has to do with our hobby. But there's there's dark, there's dark a dark side to our hobby, too, that really we that are being responsible and people that really, you know, care about our hobby should be passionate about and really, you know, fight for our hobby. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not bringing in 500 leopard geckos to resell for you know 50 percent profit you know it's it's me spending the time and caring for each animal and i really do care for each animal and you know it's most most people in my size don't care as much as i do about each animal you know which is it's a hard thing is for me you know it's really hard but i think it's important that you know we really we really make our hobby shine the best light as possible you know we're not we're not the the guys that are hoarding animals and letting them die in their tanks for from you know not caring from for them for months and stuff you know 99 or 98 percent of the people in this hobby are are actually really good people taking really good care of these animals 
same thing in the dog yeah. world. I cringe when I see a pit bull that's been, you know, left on a chain outside and in the in the sun for five days when somebody moves. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, when I when I bought my house and or when we uh, moved to Colorado, it was very 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 difficult for me to find a, a house that would accept my uh, two pits um, as a rental. You know, and we searched for months and months. But I would not give up until I found a place that would accept our dogs because I wasn't going to turn them over, you know, no matter what. Because that's just me not being responsible. And that's just coming down to everybody to do, take their own share and really realize that, you know, this is something we could lose and this is something that's important. So I think, you know, for the small-time person, you know, make sure that you're 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 sharing these, uh, you know, these posts that we post about USR because it is real. And make sure that you try to, you know, at least at least get the membership um, with US Arc. It's not that much. <laughs> it's really not, you know. And then you uh, get the, you know, for us breeders that are shipping out geckos. I mean, that that was my idea is to, to take this promotional flyer, which they have ready for you to print out, and you just ship it along with your your animal. And you know, I think I think at least fifty percent of the people that are getting those animals are going to read through that. I'm going to start doing that now, too. Thank, yeah, you know, yeah. I didn't know about the promo letter. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that yeah, up. I'm going to do that I mean, now, too. It, you know, you're going to pay more on ink and paper, but, you know, whatever. You yeah. know, if you, if you yeah, must, whatever. you know, I, I include a care sheet. I, I might just be doing it on my next print around. I might be doing them back-to-back, you know, like one on each side. So that way you're not wasting paper either. So. Well, yeah, yeah. Hey, Keith, why have you weigh in on it? Um, after the break, we're going to take a quick break and uh, – We'll be right back, folks. Uh, Hang tight. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types. From white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets, for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. Ron Tremper is the biggest contributor to leopard gecko morph making, known worldwide for his amazing examples of living art. You can now download his leopard gecko care app, his morph encyclopedia app called Leopard Gecko Pro, and visit his site, leopardgecko.com, to see where morphs are made. GiantLeopardGecko.com specializes in giant and supergiant leopard geckos with a focus on selectively bred, exceptional lines of many different morph combinations, including high-end African fat tails and crested geckos. With over 17 years of experience in herpetoculture, Keith Kiggins brings you quality, integrity, and value. Check out GiantLeopardGecko.com on the web and on Facebook. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches. 
whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herbs. abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. All right, folks, we are back. And don't forget, with AB Dragons, you get uh, 5% off your total order by using the code GECKO at checkout. Um, I'd also like to remind everybody that in the group GECKO Nation, uh, I've made a post today. Uh, if you guys want to get in on my raffle for um, for the people that buy RACA tickets, uh, please check out that post. Buy a, ra- a raffle ticket from RACA, R-A-A-D-A. And uh, that's Reptile and Amphibian Charity Auctions. And uh, the tickets, I think, for that is 20 bucks. But you win a chance to go to Costa Rica and all kinds of other second, third, fourth uh, place prizes. All right? And if uh, you don't win any of that, you still have a chance to win a really cool gecko that I'm going to put up for auction. I mean, for raffle, for the people that buy tickets and submit screenshots of their receipts for the tickets. So get involved. Also, just want to remind everybody, um, about an upcoming auction in Gecko Nation Marketplace for Christina's Animal Rescue. Uh, a bunch of breeders are coming together with some really cool donations, uh, so you guys might be able to get something really nice at a good price and also support a good cause. Um, all right, we are back in the second hour. And uh, right off the bat, I just want to thank uh, John and Keith for sponsoring the show. And uh, the show would not be possible without our great sponsors. So, John and Keith, thank you very much. Okay. All right, Keith, guys. Why don't you, um, hold, hold on, Tim. Uh, Keith, why don't you answer um, the question I posed in, uh, before the break, and then, Tim, you can take it away. Okay. I, we were talking about U.S. art, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm catching up because I had phone issues, and I had to make some technical changes. So um Sounds yeah, like you I, you still know, do I, have phone issues. <laughs> well, I'm now I'm on the cell phone, so it could get real interesting, but do my best <laughs> here. Um uh, US ARC, uh, absolutely a fantastic cause. Um one that I admittedly and ashamedly probably don't participate in as much as I need to, but um not something that I'm gonna ignore either. Uh, I love John's idea of printing flyers, so probably go that direction. The one thing that comes to mind, um, yeah, I just dropped into Repticon yesterday here in Denver, and um, you know, I, I would imagine that almost every vendor there, with the exception of maybe two, probably have no clue who USARC is or what they're doing. Um, and I wonder just how um, you know, because Facebook isn't the world of reptiles and neither are forums. There's a much bigger world. There's places called pet shops. Um, pet smarts, pet scos, real pet shops, and I just wonder how much the ground, um, the grassroots effort needs to focus on places like that to get the support that we need. Because you know, when I think dirty animals, I immediately think of the local reptile stores. So um, I think that you know that's a big challenge to us. Is that if we're talking public perception, you know, us us little breeders that sitting around in our cyber worlds aren't necessarily public perception as hobby. It's those storefronts. Um, it's those sickly little animals on Craigslist, that sort of thing. How are we going to go about counteracting some of that? And um, 
you know, the, the supporting U.S. ARC is, is part of that, but how do we get more support for U.S. ARC, I guess, in some of those retail environments that I think perpetrate a lot of the dark side of this hobby as much as anything. So, yeah, kind of just where I'm going to, you know, like I say, admittedly, I'm not supporting U.S. ARC as much as I should. I haven't donated to auctions and or bid on many of the auctions, although I do pay attention and, um, you know, scroll through them and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, it's definitely in our hobby, in our business, it's a very important um, political faction, if you will. And I think it's it's critical that people like John and Fly That Flag um, are heard. And that's all. <laughs> That's cool. my train of thought. Okay. Right, yeah, so that's the, cool. The next subject that I wanted uh, to for you guys to uh, talk about and, and give your opinions about is um, when when people go and uh, have the drive and and start out uh, in in this business or this hobby. Um, obviously, every business has its own growing pains, but um, can you guys? Uh, share some of the challenges that that you uh, came upon early in your um, businesses that uh, you know that you didn't expect or that were you know, more challenging than you had planned. Um, I guess I started. Yeah, um, one thing that's tough is always. I think that's very tough for a lot of beginning um, hobbyists is you know making sure you house have the housing for your animals that you produce. Um for me that was that was an issue. that was a, always a tough thing and it's still something I I struggle with because you know it's always buying a new rack or back then it was building a new rack. So I'd be as busy as I could be and then have to go and go to down to Home Depot and buy some melamine board and and build my own racks, you know, and which I did for for many of the years that, that I was starting off. I finally I finally have switched over, especially after once you go through a couple moves with melamine, you you realize that you never want to, you know, melamine is basically a four-letter word to you at that point. So, um, you know, for me, for me, it was just you know trying to keep up with everything, and you know, it's it's you're not making money at the beginning, so it's like you know, struggling to pay for feeders and struggling to pay for, you know, your 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 equipment and you know trying to trying to sell your animals is all all of it's is very difficult at the beginning you know which backs up on itself and it's not like the animals you know or take any less work or you know um over time you become more efficient and over time I've gotten to the point where you know I could have cleaned my collection from 5 years ago in you know 10 minutes now where it took me probably an hour back then but you know, it's it's a it's a progression. You know, it's a it's, you really the more you the more you keep these animals, and like Keith said, like keeping you know what you actually have to take care of these animals. It's a very you know I know where Keith gets this we're from Frank Reitz, but you know it's a uh, it's it's true. You really got to listen to your animals, and you know I, it's funny because I I've, I've developed my own husbandry methods that nobody else was doing before, and it's all because I was just looking for a better way to do things and. You know, I didn't like the way things were done, you know, and it, and that can go with any species. I mean, at least the leopard geckos, which are one of the most commonly kept re- reptiles out there. And, you know, I, I kind of changed, you know, 
I, I don't do this, the same thing that anybody's ever done before as far as keeping them on a large scale. So, um, and I've even converted a few people, even Matt and yourself, uh, Dave, have, you know, converted to some of the techniques that I have told you guys about. And I think, I think, yeah, it's just, it's a progression and just getting through that beginning part. Any, any, I mean, if you start off at a new job, it's always tough when you start off at a new job and you have to learn the ropes. But, you know, when you're three or four years in, you're like, you know, it's just another day. So, I mean, it's getting through that, that period. Go ahead, Dean, yeah, if you want to share your thoughts. Sure, and that's, I mean, that's really it. Is You know, the first thing that comes to me when you say business is startup costs. And <laughs> I, I went over this on my show before. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been in this hobby for 15, 16, I don't even know, 18 years now. But the thought of making it a business didn't become a reality until I had money in the bank. Uh, bottom line is, I was able to spend money and buy racks and do it right and put equipment together and um, buy nice animals. So startup costs, I think, is a critical thing if you're talking business. Um, and even if you're not, uh, you know, it's still that infrastructure has to exist. Like John said, struggling with having enough housing for the animals to produce, that's a, you know, that's what we would call um, um, capacity management. It's important. Um, like I mentioned before, you know, I'll use VMS Herp as an example. His capacity management is incredible. He knows exactly how many animals he needs to produce to reach his bottom line, and he knows that's how many tubs he has to have empty. So, um, you know, it's, that's just the way it is. So, you know, there's some math involved and some some acumen where the business is concerned. And um, as a startup, that's your biggest hurdles are always going to be understanding your costs versus your your income. So um and that's you know that's the high level business take. As far as leopard geckos go, uh, it's still really just critically important that you take the time to understand the animals and what they do for you. And it, it's probably gonna take a couple of years before you really get a feel for their breeding cycles and how many eggs you might hatch and if your incubator is worth a darn. Um, you know, bad incubator is never going to be uh, conducive to building this as a business. So, uh, you know, I think focusing on some of that stuff is pretty important. Um, but like John said, you just once you get yeah, systems and efficiencies in place five, six, seven years down the road, um, you know, it's, it is just another day. So... Right now, I I get up every morning and I do the same basic thing. <laughs> it's pretty much just autopilot. So um, that's kind of where you want to get, though. Uh, John, you mentioned um, some things that that you do differently. Uh, do you want to go um, in a little more in depth in any of those topics? Um, maybe is, is supplementation something uh, that you'd like to discuss? Um, I can. I could talk about supplementation, but I mean that's that's something that a lot of the bigger breeders use, which which I I kind of stick with the same thing, the Vionate and Osteoform mix. Um, I do a little bit different on that, and I have a YouTube video that shows what I do. But um, some of the more drastic things that I do differently is I I literally have a garden hose in my in my basement that I you know and I couldn't live without it at this point. I have you know a sprayer on the end. 
and I have a big 55-gallon trash bin that's on casters that comes around with my my uh, food cart that goes around the room and rolls. And, uh, and you shower uh, you shower with your tubs too, don't you, John? To conserve water. What's that? <laughs> no. You clean the tubs. <laughs> you, you clean the tubs in the shower too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, only biodegradable soaps. Um, yeah. It, yeah, I literally have a hose that I blast out everything and I spray. You know, when I miss something, I don't have to sit there and I have sprayers all around the all around the the room. You know, the pump sprayers, but at the same time, that's really when I don't want to walk across the other room and pull a hose around. But you know, for the most part, when I'm working through, I, I'm spraying things. I, I use a, a mister like you use on your garden hoses, and you know, same thing with the tubs. It, it helps clean things out, and I, I literally blast you know everything out of that tub every time i clean you know so it's a constant cleaning cycle i don't really use water dishes for the most part for most species um i just keep them misted and humid hides and different methods of keeping them hydrated um you know uh i i use steam cleaners a lot um i have a steam cleaner that's a very powerful you know high pressure and high temperature steam cleaner you know and that helps to eliminate some of the, you know, some of the, or kill some of the germs and stuff. Um, but those are the main things. I mean, every I have a lot of, you know, I, I like to use roaches and, you know, do the dubia, and I keep them in bowls so I don't have to be constantly feeding every day. Um, and there's there's a lot of things I do differently, but those are, that's kind of the main thing that I think a lot of people weren't doing before. We got some, uh, we got a few really good questions from, uh, Rachel and from April in the group, and um, I'll, I'll bounce back and forth between uh, some of the things that they wanted us to talk about. Uh, we already talked a little bit about some of the common mistakes that beginners make, and there, there's a whole lot of them. Um, I don't know that we really need to go into depth about each, you know, all the different mistakes, but um, uh, Rachel does ask, you know, I'm sorry, April asked this question. How long should a beginner keeper uh, keep geckos before considering going, you know, bringing this into a business uh, aspect. I mean, well, you know what? I don't know. I think you guys kind of touched on that already. Let me me take this other one. Um, Let's see. How about how important are the various – this is a good question from Rachel. How important are the various uh, marketing platforms? Show between shows, uh, traditional marketing and advertising techniques like posters and pamphlets and stuff like that, um, Facebook and forums. So from a beginner's perspective, what do you think they should be focusing on? Um, I think I think, uh, I think your, rep- your reputation is like one of the biggest things, you know, keep your reputation good and, you know, invest in high-quality animals. Don't skip on your hello. Yeah, you're there. Working in the background. Um, you know, keep invest in high quality animals and animals that you know it's you know you, projects that you really like. Uh, Linebred projects usually are are better investment. Um, whether that's combined with another gene or not, that doesn't matter. It's, you know, something that's going to improve the color. Or, you know, different attributes about the animal is a better investment usually. Um, yeah, it's uh and, and back to actually I think April's question was not too not exactly what we were talking about either. I think the um I think keeping 
before you start a business, I don't think there's a necessary time point or time period that you have to keep a reptile to start it. But I think you need to know. I think the information is very important that you you know that you, you if you do your research and really you know do your homework on it. You know that's the key. I mean, you could keep a leopard gecko for 20 years and be doing things wrong, or not know what you're doing. So it's not necessarily you know the time frame. It's really how much you work and effort you put in the research and understanding it, you know. And I think uh, having a very strong – I mean, most people, by the time they're adults, they really know if they really like, you know, things like reptiles or fish or things of that sort. So I think you really have to have that passion for it and then also, you know, just uh, really, you know, really have the research done on before you really try to start breeding animals and doing it, going that route. Hey Keith, um, you know you, you're you're a web guy and you do a lot of stuff with the internet. Um, one of the questions um, that April had was, um, what can you help us with as far as uh, getting started with building a, a web page, and how important is your website, and do you have any tips uh, and tricks uh, for a beginner that's just starting out with a fresh new website? Um, you know, I I see a lot of people that are relying pretty much solely on Facebook these days, the majority of which probably are working in pretty small projects, um, you know, maybe a rack or two, um, maybe a yeah. two or three breeding groups, very very focused on what they're doing, and that's great. That's, they're going to do just fine, I think, with Facebook or Gecko Forms and um, Fauna Classifies, where, you know, whatever those, the, those are the big three for me, Facebook, Gecko Forms, and Fauna Classifies, um, as far as my marketing strategy. Uh, I need a website because, well, because I enjoy making a website, but um, if you're going to really want to do a website, I'm sure John would help with this too because he uses a different product than I do. I, you know, mine, mine is actually based on WordPress, which um, can take quite a bit of getting used to. Um, it's not really designed for e-commerce very well, so I've, I spent a lot of time, but uh, you know, I learned HTML years and years ago, so that helps. Um, it's a very simple language to learn. Um, it will help you uh, to do certain things um, rather than just rely on plug-and-play website builder type applications. Um, that said, you know, you just make it simple, make it, make the information available that people are going to be looking for. So, what do you have for sale? Who are you? How do you get? Con- how do they contact you? You know the critical pieces that most websites have. Um, and I think after that, you just—it's um, it, a learning process. It's not easy. To, you know, I've seen John redesign his, I think, twice in the last couple of years since I've known him, and I've redesigned mine almost yearly, um, simply because it's—it doesn't look the way I want it to. It's not doing what I need it to do. So I have to um, you know, find better tools to, to make it what I want it to be. Um, as a beginner, you know, you can you can get away with some of the website builder stuff. Just ask yourself, what would you want to see if you're shopping somebody? Um, you know, and then and then the scope. You don't really, I don't think you really necessarily have to have a website if you're just going to focus on those small projects. And, you know, maybe you just do a lot of a lot of grassroots stuff with Facebook and the forums, and uh, you take advantage of that stuff that's out there for you. Um, if you're located in a good market where you can do a lot of shows, 
I know Rachel mentioned shows. Um, I've done shows here in Denver. It's a very lousy market for shows, but um, I know where you're at, David. The shows are fantastic. So yeah, um, yeah. Know, on the coast, on either coast and then through the Midwest, you're going to have better luck with your shows. Um, and so that's a great way to. I mean, that's. I would probably do a lot more shows if they were, if we had better door draws here, but we don't. So, um, but as far as the website goes, determine whether you really need it, and if you want to do it, then do it because it's you know maybe you'll learn something from it. Maybe it becomes the driving force behind your uh, your business. Who knows? But um, not much. Well, I mean, the website builder stuff is where most people are going to start, and it's just a matter of of learning. Um, there's no no quick and easy way to do it. Um, no, that's 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 good advice. Definitely. Um, we have a caller on the line. Let's see, caller from uh, six one five area code. Let's go ahead and take your question. You're live on Kepa Nation Radio. Hi guys. I have Hi, eight females. Uh, this is Jamie. Hi Jamie. I have um, eight females that are going to be ready to go this year for 2015, and seven of them are first-year females. And so I wanted to know if there were any any advice you can give me to ensure their health and their safety through their first year. Hmm, good question. Um, well, why don't you, why don't you John or Keith, grab this one, whoever. Um, well, you know, typically most females... You know, sometimes it's hit or miss with females. Uh, I've had a lot of females that have bred their first year way better than they did their second year, and then it's also been vice versa. Um, I've always heard that the second year is always better, but I don't necessarily find that. Um, just making sure they're they're up to they're up to size. They they're in good health when they go into breeding. Um, you know, if they're if they're too small, I think a big thing too, honestly, like keeping. Keeping your females well hydrated during the breeding season is a big thing. Keeping the food up, um, okay. even if they don't eat it, because certain times they're not going to eat. Like when they first ovulate, they're not going to eat at all, and that's one of my first signs that I know that a female's ovulating is I see their bellies get fat, their tails get skinny, and they stop eating. So when you see that female stop eating, you know it, it's a good sign that they're about to ovulate. And when they ovulate, if you place them in, you know sometimes placing them in with a male, the right timing on that can make a difference too. Um, I try to actually place them in pretty early and keep them in for three to four days, usually at the beginning. Um, you know, it's not a necessary, like, exact science on that. Sometimes you can just put them in for the act and that's it and they're fine. Um, mm-hmm. But I like to keep them in there for a couple of days. That way the male, you know, will mate with them a couple of times and ensure that they're going to be laying fertile eggs. Um, you know, it's it, and it can be a little bit of a dangerous time for the, the female, too. You know, they could have exit rupture in them, which can, you know, end tragically sometimes, and sometimes they can get egg-bound. You know, it's it's part of a part of a, the female being gravid. It can be something that, you know, you might lose an animal for. So um, I think keeping them well hydrated is very important. You know, giving them a mist every three days at least, you know, is a good thing. Even if they have a water bowl or whatever, um, keeping, giving them a decent mist, making sure they're pretty clean. You know, if you're in a more humid environment, that will cause other issues. So make sure uh, you keep the humidity and they're, they're, well, they're well hydrated. A moist hide is very important. If you don't have a moist hide in there, they could have issues. Um, 
you know, such as like egg binding, for instance. You know, a lot of people struggle with this, and you know, there's there's different things that you can do when a female gets egg bound. Um, and I found over the years, honestly, just keeping them as keeping a good moist hide and keeping them well hydrated is the best thing you can do. Like as far as percentage wise, you know, you can get a surgery done on them, which a lot of times ends tragically anyway. Um, sometimes you can. You know, I've, I've aspirated eggs where you actually stick a needle in their belly, suck out the egg yolk, and it'll uh, actually let them pass the egg. Um, all these instances, I think, are less effective than actually keeping them well hydrated during this time. So, you know, for now on, when I get an egg-bound female, I, I keep them, you know, super well hydrated, keep the food in there, even if they don't eat it, you know, replace it with fresh food, you know, every uh, couple days or so. And, I mean, that's the best you can do. Sometimes you're going to lose a female there in this time. It's part of the risk of breeding. That's just the way it goes. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes it's horrible and you, you lose a female you really care about. Or, you know, any time you lose an animal, it's horrible. But, you know, it's, if you're going to breed, you got to get you got to get prepared for this. It's the same thing with babies, too. If you have young babies that are hatching up, not every one of them is going to survive. I mean, it's just the there's a reason why they, they lay, you know, you know, the four to six clutches sometimes, you know, and there's a reason why they do that, and that's because they have to survive by numbers. The strongest will survive. So in the wild, it's uh, it's one of those things where you're, you're going to lose some animals. We can't keep every baby alive in captivity. It's just the, you know, there's some that are just going to be weaker than others and, you know, some that are going to be, you know, you're going to get deformities, which are common. It's not necessarily that you have bad genetics or anything. It's Sometimes it's egg incubation issues. If you have... If you have uh, eye issues, like eyelid issues, it's usually a vitamin A issue where your supplementation with the female is not on point. So make sure you, you're using good supplementation. Um, so, I mean, you can do all the best things you can. Keep the supplementation good, keep them well hydrated, keep them fed. And those are the best things you're going to be able to do. And as long as those those females don't have parasites and other issues, you know, that's you're they're going to do the best they can. So, um, even at a year, a year is, is fine for breeding leopard geckos. It's no problem. Um, there's some other species like, like Angamon, you couldn't breed at a year. You'd have to wait till two at least, but, um, with a good amount of food and everything, every leopard gecko should breed at a year's age. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Answer, Jamie. That was good. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Yeah. One other thing: watch, watch the male when you, yeah, watch the male when you put them in too. Just because you know, sometimes if you, sometimes the female's not receptive even if they're ovulating. So if you got a male that's going to be, you know, getting crazy on them, yeah. it's not necessarily that they're not going to breed. Just wait a week and try it again. And if you know, <laughs> a, a little bit of scuffle is fine. But if you see them with, like ripping off flesh and stuff, like that's when you pull them out for sure. <laughs> Okay, folks, listen, if you guys want to call in with your questions, the call-in number is 646-478-5331. Again, it's 646-478-5331. It'll prompt you to uh, press 1 to speak to the host. You go ahead and press 1, and we'll get you on the air. Um, okay, Keith, uh, I know you said you had, to, you had to get going soon. Um, is there anything you want to say in closing before you before you shove off? Well, no, I just thank you, David, for for inviting me to come on again. It's been fun, and I don't get to talk of to John very often, so I have to come on your show to talk to John, who lives 20 minutes from me, but that's okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to here days. waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, one of these days I'm going to go that direction, I swear. <laughs> I just bought a new car. I need to drive more, so. 
I'll, I'll be down but, at yeah, the uh, hub tomorrow night if you want. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm shipping on Tuesday, I think. So, of course. Okay. We'll, okay, we'll, no we'll figure this out. But um, no, thanks, David. It's uh, always fun. Anytime, and, Keith. Thank uh, you. It felt it felt shorter this time than it did last time. So, um, ah, maybe there'll be. Yeah, next well, it wasn't a full episode, so you know. What's that? It wasn't a full episode. Just you on the spot. You know, it was, you know, you had some uh, some some buffering going on. <laughs> that's that's true. I I had to ad lib a lot more the last time. So. Really, <laughs> <laughs> it was a great show. Well, you're welcome. Anytime. All right. I appreciate giving us. All right. Appreciate you giving Thanks, us. Thanks, guys. Time. You're welcome. Have a good night. Have a good night. All, All right. right. We have another caller on the line. Caller that I'm familiar with. Uh, this is Gecko Nation Radio's biggest fan. And uh, Elsa, you are live on the air. Hey, thank you. I have an interesting question. At least it's interesting to me. Uh, how many times during a season does a female ovulate? That's a good question. Um, John, what do you think? I mean, I've seen it, seen them ovulate for maybe like a month or two at a time sometimes, but and then they'll stop if they're not bred. But what is it in your experience? Um, you know, I don't have an exact time frame on that. I've seen, you know, I've had females that have bred laid eggs for like a month or two and then kind of stop for a month. And I think it may be the, being that they needed to gain the weight back or whatever. Maybe they're still, I don't know if they're necessarily not ovulating during this time, but not even being placed with a male again, they, they start laying good eggs again. So, um, maybe like a month later, you know, so, you know, the two week or, you know, so like, uh, time between the egg laying isn't always exact. Sometimes it depends on how much you're feeding them. Um, just on the female too, you know, I get a lot of females. Some pe- sometimes people are, you know, upset. Some females don't lay eggs, or sometimes they're, you know, lay dud eggs. You know, it's I have the same issues too. It's always, you know, sometimes the nicest animal that I have doesn't lay me a good egg for years, and I still try because I just want one animal out of it. But you know, sometimes. Uh, you know, if if I was really going for numbers, I would probably sell that animal off. But I kind of just want to go for genetics more than anything. But, um, you know, yeah. if, if they're not bred, usually my younger animals, when I when I don't breed them, they'll go off food and ovulate, and they'll probably be back to normal in a month or two. You know, it depends on a lot of factors. I think all these things are not exact. So it just depends on your husbandry, um, the temperatures that you have them at, the, the amount of food you're feeding them. There's a lot of factors that are involved, so it's not an exact science. But, you know, if yeah, anybody gets a female a female that's about a year old or maybe a little less a lot of times and they're not eating right away and their belly's still fat, you know, it's just probably they're ovulating. They don't eat during that time, and they'll, they'll get off of it. You get a lot of people that are so worried that their gecko didn't eat in five, ten days. And, you know, I get animals sometimes from other breeders, and they don't eat for a month, and then I get them going, you know, I've rarely lose a gecko that I get from somebody else. It's actually probably never happened to be honest. Um at least right away. So Okay, yeah. I'll bring back bring her back. Yeah, Elsa, do you have any any follow up to that? No. Thank you thank you very much everybody. You're welcome. Okay, cool. Thanks. All right. Um well John there's you know, we touched a little bit earlier um you know, on auctions, and I don't know. I tried a couple, doing a couple auctions on my Facebook page. Uh, a couple of them went good. 
uh, I think a couple didn't, you know, I got one of those people that, you know, didn't follow through. And, you know, I mean, there's no way to regulate, regulate it either on Facebook. It's not like eBay. So you're kind of like just taking people's word for it. Um, there are a lot of Facebook groups out there where they're, you know, doing auctions. And now there's auction websites. Uh, big breeders are teaming up and doing auction websites. Yeah, I do see people bidding on animals, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like – I can't see all, all these auctions being good for everything. I mean, I, I think auctions every once in a while are good and for, you know, if you're going to do it for a special cause or even if you're just going to do it once in a while, it's cool with me. Um, but I don't know. I don't think auctions overall are good because it totally it takes any – there's no way to determine what things are worth anymore. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's It's so different. I mean, I, I was raised and I've grown up, you know, seeing, you know, buying from my favorite breeder, whether it's through, you know, through emails or on their website or um, at shows. And now it's uh, the climate's changing a bit. What do you think? What are your, what's your opinion? Um, you know, I've had mixed thoughts about auctions and, and you know, I, I've kind of, I, I did a couple in my past too, and you know I never was happy about it, and I never felt good about it. Like there's just something that doesn't feel good about an auction, like when you're auctioning a live animal. I mean, if I was auctioning like T-shirts or something like that, I could see like, oh, I produced it, or I, I bought it for this amount of money, and I'm selling it for this, so I'm making a profit here or there. But like when you're auctioning live animals, I don't know. It's just there's something weird about it to me, and I don't feel right about it either. You know, and I did my auctions, mm-hmm. I kind of just. You know, it didn't feel good. I didn't get what I wanted for the animals. I didn't get what they, well, at least what I felt they're worth. It didn't even matter so much about the money. It's just like the feeling that they weren't worth that to me is like a bigger issue to me. And, you know, my my feelings on auctions now, I think it, I think it hurts. I think it hurts the whole community. I think if I started auctioning everything I had in stock right now, I think it would hurt the the whole community for sure. Um, I rest assured, I don't plan on doing it anytime soon. And, you know, I, I think I'm about to just, you know, completely not auction in, at all, you know, ever again. I, I, it's been even probably over a year since I've even done an auction, and it was on low-end animals for the most part. But, you know, at the same, you know, we, if you think it from a business side of it, you know, you're taking an animal. We're, we, we're on a specialized field as it is. Leopard geckos are not, like, you know, not everybody that you're going to meet on the street is ever going to want a leopard gecko. So you're in a, a specialized field. You know, the Internet makes it more available to a lot more people. But, you know, it's still very specialized, you know, especially when you're talking about breeders and then also people that want specific morphs or genetics. So if I'm a breeder and I want a rainwater white and yellow, you know, I'm not going to be in the market all the time for rainwater water, white and yellow. But if I'm a guy that's bred that and I'm going to push that on the market really quickly, I'm going to throw it on an auction so it has to be sold within a day, you know, you're not going to get all those people that are really in the market for that animal because that animal is so specialized that it's really one of those things where, you know, it's that that person has to come along to get that animal. You know, the same reason I will never, I will never ever auction off one of my wild types for sure because it's not the biggest market ever. I think it's one of the coolest things out there. But at the same time, it's, you know, not everybody wants an Angermania, for sure, for instance. But the people that do, they do. They really do, you know. And the second that you auction it and you throw it on an auction, somebody that really wanted it was at work or wasn't following your Facebook page or wasn't doing anything, they're not going to see that animal. And you leave it up to being hopefully one person that wants that animal. But 
you know, you're throwing people that are going to be forced into buying it because it's so cheap. Like literally, if if I saw, you know, if I saw a certain more from a certain breeder that's really cool, there's a price that I'd be forced to buy into that because I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't say no. So yeah. you're literally taking that price of really what that animal should be, you know. And everybody says, oh, it's what the market dictates. It's what the mar- It's not what the market dictates. It's what the market for that day dictates. It's what whoever saw that post dictates. It's not really right, real for market. that hour. Yeah. Yeah. So you're taking you're taking your sample size of people that want this animal. And you're cutting it down to you basically nil, you know, maybe one percent of the people that would have saw it. You know, I have animals that I've kept on my webpage for over a year now, you know, over a year for sure. And I haven't maybe I lower the price a little bit, you know, but that's different than actually throwing it out there and I have to sell it now, you know. I mean I understand sometimes like you need money, you have to have it now, you gotta like sell it, but the same time you're doing yourself a disservice because you're taking your animal that you've worked so hard on that you've you know created this little bloodline that's valuable to you and your customers not to mention all you know the customers that you're that are buying from you but also the ones that have bought from you in the past you know if somebody bought you bought an animal for you from $400 in the past that you're auctioning off this year you know everybody's going to feel bad about it you know so i don't see a lot of good coming from auctions i know i have a friend that does them a lot and, you know, I know he's in a, you know, whatever, it, not to be in specifics, but I know there's reasons why he does it and when there's reasons why he has to and other things. But, you know, I mean, I am, I'm even honest, you know, with, with people that do auctions and I tell them, you know, this is something that's hurting yourself more than anything. And it's, you know, but, and then another, another thing to think about too is also what is your, what is your reach? You know, most people are doing auctions on Facebook, obviously. So they're going to be, you know, if your reach is 500 people on your Facebook page, you know, with new Facebook algorithms, when you throw a f- auction on your Facebook page, you're maybe reaching 200 people at most. And say you have, you know, your random morph, you got to hope that like one of those 200 people, actually, you got to hope that two of those 200 people want that animal because otherwise you're not going to get people bidding back and forth. So you got to hope that two people out of those 200 are going to really want that animal, which is very, very, very unlikely. So there's a lot of things that are bad about it. You know, I I think it really did hurt the ball python world because I think those animals would still be their higher prices if they weren't, you yeah. know, in this, that, in this that's ball. That's exactly what I think happened, yeah. That's what destroyed yeah. that and I market. Mean, all it takes is me or, you know, one of the bigger breeders out there to go and jump in also, and all of a sudden you got to you – you know, I think if I jumped in and I started doing auctions heavy, I think it would be a detrimental thing to the leopard gecko world. So I think I value the leopard gecko world so much in like this way that it is right now that it's not something I'm going to do. And I sell enough animals as it is, even though the market's slow, it's still it's still it's still there. And I still sell animals because I have unique things that nobody else has, and I have things that you're not going to find. You know, you can buy an auction animal for 150 bucks, but you know, doesn't mean you're gonna you're gonna be producing that auction animal that the same person's gonna be auctioning off the next year for, you know, way less than that. So you gotta think well, about that. I agree. I agree. And I'll I'll be honest with you, I didn't feel great after doing the few auctions that I've done. Um I think the ones mm-hmm. for charity are give you a good feeling, like the ones we did in the Breeder Shield and um, yeah, I, I, we're gonna I, do I've for Christina. Most of those too myself. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Exactly. Charity auctions are you know, and you do get actually a bigger fan base from charity auctions and more more spirit to buy something too. 
as it's going to charity. But either way, right. it's going to and, charity for the hobby. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I and and I can attest to you know, John. Also, you know, my sales have been fine, you know, lately. And um, I guess there was a slow point uh, right a couple of weeks before September started, and I think that was just because of school and you know starting up and people you know getting their kids ready and whatever and not really focused on buying animals. But I don't know. I think everything has gone back to normal. I mean, during that couple of weeks, people like were really nervous about. You know, wow, nobody's buying geckos right now. What's going on? But it seems like everything's back to normal now. I don't know about you. I mean, right? I mean, well, you, you know, this is common every year. There's this period of time when everybody's got stuff available where the prices, you know, I we all in a huff and puff about the situation and we feel like there's, uh, you know, the market's crashing and everything's going downhill and it never does really. And honestly, the people that are auctioning off a lot of animals, it's not really. You know, their number of animals is not doing anything to the market. You know, you think about the big breeders out there that produce, you know, hundreds of thousands of animals. And, you know, they're just a the minuscule part of the, the actual market. It's a perception that hurts a little bit. So for the people that mm-hmm. are, you know, worried about it because they see auctions going down and all this stuff, it's really, it's honestly, if, if there's a time to buy animals, it's right now, you know. I, I can be honest that mm-hmm. I've spent probably over twenty grand in the last four months on animals, you know, and the reason I've done that, you know, the reason I'm you're not even joking either. Well, no, I'm really, like, it's not all stuff. If I was an addict, it would be buying stuff that I was, you know, rare stuff and, you know, all the things I want. There's a lot of things I want, but there's a lot of things I won't buy at the same time. But as far as leopard geckos go... You know, for those guys that are uh, so discouraged about the market and they see these auctions and they see things like that, it's really not a big part of the market. It's it's a perception issue, I think, more than anything, but at the same time, it's a very, very small part of the market. And if you have high-end animals and you spend the big bucks on really high-end animals, that's where you're going to keep, you know, you're going to actually make a profit because – you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to get these discounted geckos and I'm going to produce, you know, a couple hundred of them and sell them for at least what they're worth. And it doesn't happen that way. Everybody, you know, there's there's you know, there's 500 mediocre geckos for every really amazing gecko out there, you know. So if, if right. not even more, right. if you consider like the big, you know, chain breeders. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing. Are you going to, you know, I spent. You know, on specific leopard gecko morphs, I spent a thousand dollars this year on one animal. You know, with specific leopard gecko morphs at least. And the people that are willing to do that are the ones that are really gonna. I mean, selectively, you're not gonna just pay a thousand bucks for any animal, but you got to know what you're looking at. But at the same time, you know, if you're buying animals that are, you know, of exceptional quality and also of animals that are not going to be, you know, exploited and thrown out there in the market heavy, you're really gonna you're really going to probably do well on that stuff. You know, the stuff that you do bad on is usually when you're trying to get the discount. And I've learned that over the years, I've tried to get too many discounts and it's always a tendency. You got to cut costs and I'm probably, you know, I'm very frugal when it comes to my business a lot of ways, but sometimes you just got to pay, pay that money for the nicer animals and the clean genetics, which is a big part of leopard geckos too. That's not so involved with other reptiles is, you know, buying something that's not het for four or three albinos and, you know, other recessives and spending the money on good quality stuff. You know, I got people that are buying, you know, Afghanicus from all different sorts of people and, you know, different 
like lines of fasciolatus, and you can attest to this, where people buy these animals, and who knows if they're clean, you know? Like, I wouldn't buy them for sure, you know? And I'm probably, like, you know, if not, like, one of the most uh, into, like, wild types and, you know, different species of rebuffers, I'm probably more into that than anybody in the U.S. at this point, at least. And it's just, you know, I wouldn't be buying half of the ones that are available out there. So... It's really doing your research and, you know, you know, putting an investment in. Don't just throw $1,000 in something you don't, you know, know is clean. But, you know, do your research and invest in really good quality animals that are, that are not being, you know, thrown out there all the time. And you'll do well, you know. I mean, white and yellows, for instance, look at white and yellow prices, how they've dropped. You know, a basic white and yellow is worth almost nothing. But if you get a really good color, high contrast or – really really interesting or cool white and yellow they're still worth a lot you know it's almost like the enigma we never have because enigma you know kind of went south on us because of the, the issues with them and right you know for all those that are listening to to touch on white and yellows you know white and yellows are the the syndrome of white and yellows is a myth it's not associated with a gene it's associated with you know genes that came in with the animals it's not actually associated with white and yellows themselves so the only you know, reason why you're seeing any of them right now in, in some frequency is because a lot of people are breeding white and yellows. That's the only reason. Yeah. yeah not, you know, some of the animals, I, I know for sure because I've seen it too, and it's happened with a lot of different morphs. But white and yellows can have that problem because of that line that they came from had some of that issue. And, right. And, you know, some of that, you know, might be genetic, but some of it might not. But it's not associated with white and yellows. It's not like you get a white and yellow that's going to have the gene. Where are the enigmas? I don't care what enigma you've had. I've had every freaking line of enigmas, and, you know, enigmas have an issue no matter what. I don't care how clean they are or whatever. It, it pops yeah. out either in their offspring or females that have laid for three years in a row. All of a sudden you'll get one, you know, twirling on its back, and you'll be like, what the heck just happened, you know? So, I, mean, I had a I good have, streak for a couple seasons, and then it didn't, you know, I had a good streak with my Dalmatians. They seemed great, and then once the Eclipse gene popped up in them, then the syndrome popped up. Yeah, well, usually usually with the multi-gene enigmas, it's it's more common. But that's also because there's more, you know, interbreeding, I think. But it's associated with the gene. It's not, it's the like, it, you breed an enigma, it's in there no matter what. You can get better ones and you get worse ones. It's just a... It's like getting a tangerine that doesn't look as nice as the other one. Some of them are better and some are worse. But yeah. it's there. I guarantee it. No matter what enigma you have, it's there. And I, if anybody has one that's perfect, send it to me and I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've had lines that are really, really good. I had one line that was exceptionally good. And, it, you know, it popped out in some of the offspring um, you know, Enigma standards, usually Enigma standards are good if they can eat well and they thrive on their own. That's really like it comes down to Enigmas. Is you have to be, you know, if it, if the animal can do good on its own, it's good. If it's something where it, you know, can't even eat or it loses weight, Enigma is something where that animal is showing bad Enigma syndrome. So, But to not yeah. show any syndrome is, you know, next to impossible. Well, let's uh, let's let's talk about. Uh, we're coming to the end of the show, but before we close up, let's talk a little bit about uh, projections for the future. And um, are you optimistic about the leopard gecko hobby in general, John? How do you feel? Oh yeah, I think it's. I think the hobby's here to stay. 
you know, and I mean, it's staying positive about it. And I think I've said this on other episodes is that I've had, I've had some really bad jobs in the past. So, you know, (laughs) no matter what, I think, you know, this is better than, you know, even if I'm not making money or I'm not doing as well and no matter what, this is a better life than, you know, working for where I was before. But as far as the hobby goes, you know, if you have quality animals and you really invested in good stuff and you did your research you know, all of those things above, just don't throw money. You know, you have to kind of almost have those as like a, it's almost like a trifecta of things. You have to have the, you have to put in the money, you have to do in the re, do the research, and you have to have the knowledge about it, like what to breed together and what things to try out. And I, I think, I think there's, I mean, we're at the infancy of this, this hobby. Look at, look at what's happened in the last 20 years of leopard geckos. Look at what our leopard geckos were in 1995. I mean, yeah. it's just, unbelievable what we've done with them and you know the stuff i'm maybe i'm more optimistic because i see things in my collection that are just like oh my gosh this is incredible like you know the things that i'm popping out and i i have i'm i'm one of those people i really like all the species and all the you know the the natural side of it too but i mean some of the some of the morphs that we're creating in in the hobby are just they're just incredible you know I I've, mm-hmm. I said this before, but I'm really excited about this Firebolt stuff that I'm I'm doing now, and I got you know some of these lavender white and yellow things that I'm you know the lavender white and yellow combos, especially with the snow, are just I mean they're beautiful. It's incredible how nice these animals are. You know, I mean I I'm not just saying that because I'm producing them. I'm just saying because I seriously sit there. Sometimes I take my tub, like I have have the geckos in the tubs, and I'll I'll walk them upstairs and show them to my wife. I'm like, oh my gosh, can you believe this animal? And she's like, holy crap, that's that's amazing, you know. It's like some yeah. of them are just, you know. So I mean, just the quality of these animals that are coming out is just showing me that there is a future because there's no way that somebody can't like this stuff, and it doesn't come out all the time. You know, it has to really become come from really good quality genetics and animals that are. You know, you can you can experiment and get lucky, of course. But why experiment with you know you, why you'd have to produce a couple hundred thousand or hundred thousand leopard geckos a year to really get lucky and find you know all these weird hidden genetics. It really doesn't pop up as often as people think. So when you're uh, when you're breeding, you know why if you're gonna if you're gonna house say 20 leopard geckos why are you going to house 20 10 dollar leopard geckos or 30 dollar leopard geckos when you can you know spend your time wisely and you know have really high quality genetics and be happy when you're going in the incubator and finding these babies that are just like you know completely different than anything you've ever seen or you know it's fun mm-hmm. i mean that's the funnest part of the funnest part of my hobby as far as leopard geckos go is going to that incubator and finding 15 babies a day and seeing like all these weird, crazy things that pop out, you know, that's the oh, yeah. part of this for sure. And, yeah, I mean, it I doesn't agree. happen all it's year round, a... but you know, <laughs> it coincides with the busy season, which is cool because it at least gives me a you know the exciting part with the hard part of the hobby. But you know, it's 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 going it's going to have a future for sure. I, I guarantee it. I mean, it's it's you know, it's not. Like I said before, the the leopard geckos and ball pythons are different different things, you know. I, I was in the snake world before. I had boas and stuff, and you know it was all about that morph that you got, that combo morph. Well, leopard geckos are year breeders, so we've been past that. We've been past the combo morph thing, and we're into specific lines and 
almost pedigrees like dogs in a way where oh, know, yeah, I can throw a single gene animal that's completely hat free. And I mean, that animal's worth three, 400 bucks in my opinion, where, definitely. you know, if, yeah, if, if you had a single gene in a boa or in something else, you know, it's not as valued as, you know, the combo morse. Leopard geckos have come to full term and they've gone through that full, you know, huge combo morph. Let's make the biggest amount of combos we can. And then, you know, that's what's going to be worth the most. Well, that's already happened and gone with leopard geckos. Now it's nice to have the clean animal and the animal that's pure and the animal that's colorful and nice. And, you know, it's, it's, it's come to full term and it's really going to, I think it's, I think, you know, in the, the other factor too is one, one thing I got from got away from boas too for is because everybody likes the leopard gecko. I don't care who you are. You come over, even if you like fuzzy animals, you you hold a leopard gecko for ten minutes and you're gonna like that animal. Whereas a boa oh, or a snake, yeah. you know, it's a, it's I love them myself, but not everybody does, and I know that from experience from showing people my animals. You know, anyway. But sorry yeah, to keep rambling. Uh, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, we got a good future, and you know, I'm I'm seeing some interesting things with the white and yellow gene that we can really start focusing on. You know, we've just been, you know, doing combos and producing some cool stuff, but once we start line breeding and selectively breeding some of these things, you, you know, we're you're right, man. We're gonna start seeing just crazy stuff. Um, I've produced a couple of bold bell white and yellows. I got this one that's actually a bold circle back. It's got this square around a perfect circle and it's a white and yellow and a thing came out so cool looking and you know it's just with some refining like what this is this white and yellow gene can really just clean up a morph and uh in some cases it can, in some cases it'll go crazy and make you know some crazy patterns but in a lot of cases i think we're going to see some interesting uh selectively breeding with that with that morph in particular don't you think oh yeah white and yellow white and yellow is a huge morph in the hobby because it's it really yeah. does some amazing things to colors and you know no matter what you put it in it does some unique things and it's fun to work with i mean there are there is the aspect that you know sometimes it's hard to tell which ones are actually genetic white and yellows but at the same time there's the ones that are just like you know in your face like wow that's amazing and especially when you put it with different morphs that are you know i have bandit white and yellows that are third generation in now that are just kind of incredible you know, incredible in, in a way, but they're just like different, you know, they're not as necessarily better than a bull, but they definitely have, you know, their own unique thing to them. And white and yellow is a huge mm-hmm. morph going forward. Cause it doesn't have the, that, you know, the Enigma gene tied to it, like the, the, the syndrome tied to it. So I think, I think mm-hmm. white and yellows are huge going forward, even though the, you can get a basic white and yellow fairly cheap now. I mean, cheap is not cheap. I mean, 150 bucks for a reptile for some people is a lot of money. But, you know, you can still get one for, uh, you know, you can get a decent one for, you know, 200, 250 bucks. And that animal can do a lot for you. And it's co-dominant. And, you know, the color and the, the pattern that's going to come from that is going to be amazing. You know, I haven't had the best success. And I think I've told you this too, Dave, is, you know, marbleized. I like marbleized, but, you know, not everybody does because it doesn't do anything crazy drastic to the animal but um, that's what's but, so great about it you know it's not like yeah. the eclipse gene where it, it messes with you know a lot of times the eclipse gene will uh make a make an emerine look look terrible um but uh the marble eye you can get that eye effect without really screwing around with the overall look of the gecko right 
Yeah, you can, you know, and it's I I really liked it from the beginning. I mean, I spent a lot of money on it from the beginning, so it just shows how much I did like it. But it's mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely it's definitely a gene that you know I think has a future. I got pure ones this next year for sure. I mean, I have I have lots of pure heads at this point, and you know I'm gonna be breeding those and producing really. You know, if if somebody produces other pures this year, I mean, I just I wouldn't even. If I knew what I knew about them, like I wouldn't buy it because the amount of work that I put into it to make sure it's pure has been, you know, kind of unbelievable. So, I mean, I have animals. Right. I know I have a pure male already, but I'm not ready to even sell the hets yet because I'm just like I want to make sure this thing is 100% pure. So I'm going to be breeding that male to hets and then also siblings together, you know, to make sure. But Carl, you know, though, it's also important that whatever you breed that to is is more or less pure or or proven pure to be, you know, not het for eclipse, right? Because you don't want to mix eclipse and marbly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You get, you know, even for myself, it's hard to, like, you know, know which ones are 100% pure, like, bells or rainwaters, you know. Some of it's been so mixed up with eclipse that it makes it hard to be 100% sure, so... Yeah, yeah, it's definitely... I have males that I'm 100% sure on, so I'm going to have to go that route probably more than anything, but you know, I don't. I'm not going to be waiting that long to be releasing pures. So anybody that you know wants to do that themselves, that can go forward. You know, but yeah, I mean, I mix them with Turkmanicus too, which is a very genetically outcrossed animal. So these are going to be strong bloodlines for a long time. It's done right. You know, it's done in a sense where mm-hmm. I know that people are going to be inbreeding this thing for a while now, and I know that you know these animals <laughs> that need to be strong to do that. So that's. You so know, the ones uh, the ones I got from you are are crossed to Turks. No, the ones you got are they do have wild type blood in them, um, which came from Matt originally. But that's um, like his line of Macularis and Montanus that would be in those. But you know those are strong animals too. I'm just saying like yeah, for me, I needed to use, I needed to use something that was genetically pure to to do it, and then also I wanted to use something that was genetically you know very outcrossed to do it. And I know Turkmanicus breed with Macularis fine. At least captive bred trichomonas. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a very strong line. You know, the babies are very strong already, and you know, genetically outcrossed, they can be inbred for many, many generations and be fine. And you know, so which which is what it needed for that line. If I was going to release it, it's just right to do for that line. But nice. yeah, yeah it's that's, a, that's a it, good, it'll it'll be job. something going forward. There's there's going to be you know it's I added do what's right for that project and keep it going forward correctly. And, you know, that'll, how many that'll animals did it take it. to do that? <laughs> I have at least 45 babies right now that are heads that are pure heads. <laughs> so, I mean, that not even, you know, and then, you know, think about the original male that I had to produce. It was a 66% head trimper. So I had to use that male, which I had five of those males, I think, that I bred to various trimpers, and I couldn't breed them to just one trimper female. I had to breed them to a couple to make sure I had enough numbers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're talking at least three or four trimper females per every five, so you're looking like 20 animals there on the female side. Um, I mean, it's, it's huge. There's a lot of animals involved, you know. I mean, I can sell those babies, but a lot of them, you know, you know, not you can't sell every one, and so... It's a it's a tough thing to do. I mean, I probably wouldn't if I would go back. I probably wouldn't have done it. But now that I have, I'm 
I'll be proud to say that it, it's peered out, you know. And, and there might be people that, like, you know, produce stuff, like, that they say are pure because they tested up mail out or something and they don't think they have any heads. But, you know, I'm I'm yeah. more than 100% pure on this, uh, sure on this one, and I'm more, you know, it's got a good bloodline to it. So to start off with this bloodline is going to be, a big difference between starting off with any blood, other bloodline at this point. Well, now, that, so. now here's the question on everybody's mind that's interested in possibly getting in on the Marvel eyes in the future. What are they going to cost? Um, I haven't decided yet, you know. I mean, obviously a pure, like, male Marvel eye is going to be, you know, probably quite a bit is the beginning. But, you know, the person that can do that, gets that, is going to be able to produce whatever they want. Because it's pure, you know, and I'll guarantee that it's pure, you know, hundred, you know, a thousand percent pure. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, hats are going to be cheaper, of course, and that's the way it's going to go. I mean, I'm going to be producing, because I'm going to be bringing some back to their siblings and stuff too, just to keep, you know, because those marbleized will probably be the ones that I keep back if, if you know, I do keep some back. And then, uh, you know, the ones that are bred back to the father, I'll be selling those for sure, and. It definitely is, uh, you know, I mean, you're not going to, it's a lot of years of work. So it's, you know, it's four or five years worth of, four, four years of work almost. So definitely you yeah. know, a lot of animals and time and resources and everything, you know. Like I said, I probably wouldn't do it if I could go back. But, you know, now that I'm in it, I'm doing it. But. Well, you'll go down in the annals of leopard gecko history as the, the guy that cleaned up the marble IG. Yeah, and, uh, uh, you know. We'll see. Yeah, I have a feeling cool. there's a couple others that are still doing it, but you know, it's I don't. It's never going to be done as well as I did it for sure. So I mean, if somebody's going to be buying one for their future breeding stock, I mean, there's you know, if somebody else has a pure one next year out of nowhere, I mean, there's there's no way that they did it as good as I did, I, unless they did it the same way I did. But I don't know of anybody that did. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's that's right. You did it the right way, and that's what's important. And that, and and you know what? There are people out there that take this seriously that will appreciate that, and will be happy to invest in the project that way. I mean, I mean, I've done all my investments that way. You know, I've always sought out, you know, the best animals that I could find, and I just don't want there to be any question about the animals that I pass on to my customers. I don't want them to ever doubt that they're not getting the best genetics that I can give them. Uh, and, and there's a lot of new people coming into the hobby that have that same, those same ideals, and that's that's what we want. Those are the types of people that uh, guys like myself and John and other uh, serious breeders look forward to, to meeting. I mean, those those are the types of people that we want to awaken out there. Um, it's great that the typical hobbyist and the everyday uh, gecko owners are, are awesome. I love them all, and that's why I love the Gecko Nation group, because we have a lot of new people coming in there. Um, but it's always nice to see and interact with the new people that are taking this seriously. Don't you think, John? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people, and it helps keep you motivated, too, when you have people that are really into it and, you know, all about what's going on. You know, some of them, you know, they might not know everything about what's going on yet, but especially leopard geckos, because a lot of leopard geckos is history. You know, I, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, you just need to know the morphs, and it's not you know, it's only 
one-tenth of what it is, knowing how genetics work. It's, it's A lot of it's the history of leopard geckos, which makes it a big deal. But, you know, luckily we have, like, resources like gecko forms and things like that. You can look up most of the history that way and research it. You know, I don't memorize everything. I sometimes have to go back and look and, you know, search things out all the time, you know, actually, to to remember what certain things were and how they work. And, I mean, I'm not saying I know everything either. Of course not. You know, nobody does. But definitely, uh, you know, talking to the right people and, you know, researching out the good information. And, you know, searching the history on these things is, is big. It's definitely uh definitely a you know important if you're if you're in this for the serious long haul or you're really thinking about breeding you need to you need to search the history out and really you know don't just know what a rainwater is know like where it came from or know the history behind it or you know don't know where just a fire water was or what a fire water is know like what the history is on it and that way you don't go and buy some animal that somebody says is a fire water and it's really just a mix you know might have some fire water blood in there but it might have you know, some all kinds of stuff mixed in there. You know, so it makes you, it helps you make smart decisions too, knowing the history. So I hear, a, I hear a future serious gecko breeder in the background. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, we'll see about that. I don't know. He might be so sick. He likes him a lot so far, but not being only yeah. two years old, he, uh, it'll probably be a while before he makes that decision. Hopefully, I'll get him uh, working on. Working on cleaning tubs for me soon, but <laughs> so he's gonna Not grow up. He's point. gonna he's gonna steal he's gonna steal two of your best of everything and move out and then become your biggest competitor. <laughs> oh, maybe <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> I doubt it. Oh, yeah, so yeah, that's, but really, that, that's the thing too. It's it's nice about this hobby too. Is you know anybody just jumps in there with money doesn't have a. If you just jump in here with money and you don't have other factors, you're not you don't have a chance, you know. It's not about money. It's all about like the knowledge and knowing what you're doing and understanding that no, you're money, so. money helps get get you the good animals though, so that's a good start. Well, yeah, I, I mean, know. I'm saying that's part of the equation for sure. You know, you can't get to the you know, a, a better bigger level until you you've invested. But you can't do that alone, you know. If I if I was given all the money I ever spent on leopard geckos or reptiles in general, and I was given it without any knowledge about the stuff, I mean, I would be dead in the water within a year. So it's it's yeah. not only the it's definitely not only the money. It's a lot of other factors. So yeah, well, how about these guys that that come in, they spend some money, and then they go around talking trash about all the the breeders they bought from and this and that and. They they expect that they're going to make some money at this and make a business. It's like, geez, I mean, that's just really not how to do it. Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't go back and you know I might be upset with some people for making dishonest um, sales to me, but most of the most of the breeders makes honest sales to people, and it's your obligation to you know research it and know what you want to produce and know what you're going to do with it, you know. I'm not going to make 100% good decisions on purchases. That's Everybody knows that. If you, you think about it, you can go back in time and say, you know, there's these decisions that I made that I spent $1,000 on these animals and it ended up being horrible, like a horrible investment, you know. I mean, you know, you don't even want to know what I spent on Fuscus last year and, you know, that animal is not worth what it was last year at all. Um, you know, and I think it's going to level out this year. So the people that are purchasing this year are going to probably have the best deal out there. But, 
you know, it's you, not, you never know sometimes, you know. Angermani was a great decision for me. Or, you know, Firebolt was a great thing for me. Or, you know, some things are always good, and there's you got to just weigh on those more than than uh, animals that, you know, you really... Sometimes some of those just don't work out, and it's just cut it as a loss and move on. You can't blame the breeder, unless they lie to you or are dishonest. But other than that, you can't blame them. So... Right, but you know you're you're the type of breeder, and like me, like you're, you'll never, you know, do that type of business deal to any of your customers, and I sure as hell won't. I've never had yeah. anybody say, you know, say anything bad about any of transaction with me, and you know, it's just when you get to a certain level and you're making some big investments with, especially some people, some folks overseas. A lot of people are great over there, but you got to be careful. I mean, that's those are the mistakes that you've made, right? Where you've invested in some, some really high-end wild types and, you know, it, it turns out you thought you were getting some exclusive deals and it didn't really turn out that way, right? Well, it wasn't anything to do with the person I bought it from. It was just de- dependent on the, you know, like Fuskis, for instance, there was a major smuggling uh, operation that happened at the same time, you know, which made it a different story than what I thought it was. It wasn't anything to do with the person I bought them from. So, okay. you know, it's just that's part of the risk. I'm just saying that there is risk no matter what, and you're not always going to have 100%, you know, upsides to everything. It's just, you know, hopefully the upsides are a bit more than the downsides on, on your purchases. So just right. do your research and know what you're buying and, you know, do the best educated guess you can when you're purchasing something, and, you know, that's all you mm-hmm. can hope for. And you know, try to read the best information you can out there. There's so much bad information. I mean, I go on my YouTube and I'm almost want to cringe because I just see the comments that people leave and I'm just, oh my gosh, how can you, you know, people stating to other people like they're just absolute experts on the situation and it's just like they're giving them horrible information, you know. I know. And it's just, I know. that's the nature of the game though. It's the internet and people can say whatever they want and everybody that's kept a leopard gecko for more than 10 days, you know, sometimes thinks that they're an expert. And I mean, it's, you know, sometimes it's understanding even other species, you know, sometimes leopard geckos are so bulletproof in a way that, you know, almost anything that you do is okay. You know, you know, it's just, they're hard to, they're hard to mess up, you know? So most of the care sheets out there are going to do the, you know, get you the same or get you a, you know, healthy animal at the end or, you know, what appears to be healthy, but, Sometimes when you work with, like, some of the more, you know, obscure stuff and some of the stuff that's a little bit more difficult and, you know, it, although they're different, they can give you more perspective on, like, what, you know, even what a leopard gecko might really, really need, you know, rather than, you know, oh, it just needs a, a paper towel and a, a a hot hide and a cold hide and, you know, and this and mealworms. That's it. You know, it's just... You you kind of realize what these animals really thrive on and what really can make them do their best. And I mean, the more you learn, the more you're gonna, the better you're gonna do for them. You know, they're never gonna know. Even leopard geckos, I'm never gonna know everything. You know, I don't think my supplement, my supplementation, for instance, is not perfect. There's no way it's ever gonna be perfect. You know, I maybe if I get out there in the wild and I'm feeding them, you know, scorpions and, you know. Uh, uh, Solifuges and other types of insects that they naturally eat. You know, or maybe beetles. not getting. I'm not. What's that? Do they eat scarab like beetles they, too. I think. 
like the the camel spiders and stuff. I don't think they eat the beetles so much. Just I mean, most of those beetles have you know, just like darkling beetles and like superworm beetles, they they emit I, I never see them eating those, so I think because of the smell and I don't know. I mean, who knows for certain, but they definitely are eating other smaller geckos, they're eating other, you know, arthropods and they're eating scorpions for sure. They have you know, I've seen things where they're immune to the scorpion venom. Um, and, you know, they're eating the spiders and all kinds of stuff that they're eating out in the wild that we're not naturally giving them by giving them a bowl of mealworms with, you know, vinate on top of them. So we'll never get yeah. the, the supplementation perfect to what they need, you know, but mm. you can, you can keep learning and keep going for it. And, you know, eventually we'll, you know, well, I mean, we're at a point where they're, you know, we figured out what they do very well and what they do, but. So you got to keep learning. Yeah, well, we'll keep refining it. It'll take you to, you know, every year we'll get a little better and, you know, new developments will come. Well, I think we did a great yeah. show. I, mean, I think it's probably time to wake up Tim. Tim, you still still with us? <laughs> oh, I didn't I'm here. I had some questions in oh. there, but you guys kept cruising, so I, uh, I lost them. Got it, got it. <laughs> we'll nah, do it. I'll we'll go them. for another 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you lost them? Or? All right, well, one of them. <laughs> One of them was uh, John. Do you uh, brumate your uh, adults in, during the winter time for the for the the morphs, not for the wild types? Um, I would say yes and no. I kind of let a natural brumation go, um, but due to circumstances in the past where I have animals that are at every different level of, you know development so i have some animals that are still like you know young and need to be pushed with heat um i didn't do it because of that for the main reason um and i have other animals that just came off of laying eggs at the very end of the season they're mixed in with the other ones and leopard geckos are one of those things where you can you don't have to brumate them to produce animals but um this year i think i'm gonna I'm, i think i'm gonna lower it a little bit more i know they do okay with it i've done it with a few animals before and they, they do good um, so I'm going to do it a little bit more this year. Um, part of the reason is just so I don't have to be feeding them as much and they can, you know, stay ready. And also the, hopefully it helps their health a little bit and gets them in the natural cycle a little better. But, yeah, there's a lot of species you have to brumate, you know, to produce to, or to do well with them. So, I mean, these are one of the species that doesn't require that. So you can you can go the whole year with pretty much the same temperatures and they'll still breed for you fine. But some will, some will. I'm thinking about doing some brumating this year for the first time. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, never, I'm never did. cutting down on, getting them nice and fat and then letting them cool down for a while and not doing any work except spraying them down sounds nice to me. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could um, use the break myself, you know. Yeah, they'll they'll do fine. I mean, you look at their natural temperatures, and their temperatures actually get pretty low where they're at. So, you know, they uh, uh, from talking to biologists that actually look at looked for these animals in the field. You know, when the weather gets cold and when they get stormy weather, they don't see a single animal out. There's never a glepper gecko out. For, so if it rains for four or five days, the animals stay still and then a crevice and a rock somewhere, you know. They're never outside at that point. So it's only it's only when the weather gets better that they actually, you know, come out 
you know, a lot of times people talk about how they can't find them at all during the winter time. So, you know, so there's a, they actually, you know, this is natural for them to really kind of go dormant and like really not do anything for a long time. So it's not uh, definitely something that we should consider at least. Yeah. Well, I like the idea of um, getting a little break this year and, you know, last yeah. year and the year before and the year before that, I kind of just kept everything at normal temps, and everybody did fine. But I don't know. I want to give it a, a little different twist this year. And you said from your experience that they produce a lot more eggs when you cool them down, right? And, you know, it's hard to say for sure, but yeah, I think I think they will. You know, I, I've I've cooled some and they produced well for me, and I've I've cooled some too and they've they've not done well for me, so. I mean, it's hard to say. Leopard geckos are kind of like one of those things that it's almost foolproof, you know. So anybody that tries to breed them their first year, it's, you know, you're more than likely going to get some good babies out of that. So it's, uh, yeah, I think brewmating probably will help the numbers on a whole if you're going for numbers, which is not really what I'm worried about. It's more just, you know, getting them in the natural rhythm and, you know, if at the same time, if I'm doing them good and also making my workload less why not you know so right. I'm, I'm gonna do i have the space now that i can you know literally back then it was more or in the past it's been like i've been struggling for space so much that you don't want to brumate an animal that's still skinny from breathing or you don't want to brumate a young animal for the most part you know especially if you're going to try to breed it the next year you want to push it through the the year don't push it heavy with that food but definitely uh you don't want to lower the temps and I mean, one thing you don't want to do is, you know, brumate them and feed them at the same time because they don't, you know, process their food correctly. But, you know, if, if that's one of the things is for me, it wasn't, it just was hard for me to do in the past. And I think this year it's going to be a lot easier for me to do it. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Looking forward to seeing uh, what you produced this season. Uh, yeah, so far, everything looks good, John. Yeah, that's a. Uh, you know, actually, it's for 2014. It's still early. I mean, I'm gonna about, I'm gonna try to do the do a website update in the next day or so. So hopefully, I can get some more animals up. And you know, I, I still have. A, I'm always a late season here, so I I have a lot of animals to go. Yeah. Well, I wish you a lot of luck. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll uh, start wrapping things up. Uh, John, you want to leave us with any closing remarks? Well, I think I think we're good. Just uh, thanks for listening, and you know, if you have any questions, you can go to my website. I got email and contact form on there, and lots of animals coming up to be available. So, you know, care sheet there and some videos. If you look on the video section, if you have any questions, most of the stuff is answered there. But yeah, not not too much. Okay, right. That's cool. Well, thank you so much for sponsoring the show, of course, and. uh, uh, thanks for giving us uh, your knowledge and your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Say goodbye to Tim. Oh, I forgot his name. <laughs> uh, bye, Tim. Good, good talking to you. Again. <laughs> Have a good night, John. <laughs> All right, bye. Take care. All right, later. So, what do you, th- what do you think, Tim? I think uh, I think it was a good show. Got a lot of good information. Definitely, Dave. Yeah. Um, what do we got for next week? I forgot. You know? Um, I don't have it in front of me, no. 
Hold on one second, folks. I'll tell you. Um, we got some good shows. We got um, Travis Coos coming up. With uh, we're going to talk about uh, satanic leaf tail geckos and other things that he's working on. Um, let's see. We got a bunch of cool shows. We got Anastasia from Netbug. Me and Daryl are going to talk about tarantulas with Anastasia. Uh, we got Steve Camelli uh, with Leaf and Lee Cheese coming up. Steve and, Steve uh, Camelli. Chimelli? Okay. And I and I promised him I promised him that we would pronounce his name correctly. Oh, all right. Well, that already screwed it up. <laughs> good, good I'll start. make sure I get it. Right. <laughs> I'll get it right, Chimelli. All right. Well, it's, it, you know I should know that I'm Italian. It's an Italian last name. I should. Uh, but there's no H in it, so it's kind of deceiving. But whatever. We also have uh, Paul Edwards from ProTech Caging. Uh, you guys want to check him out? He's he's making some just incredible. Uh, racks that just look so nice, different than what you're used to seeing. They're really white and clean, and they got these, um, in addition to the tubs pulling out, they also have a workstation drawer that slides out so you can set the tubs down. It's really convenient. Um, of course, they, he only uses the good heat tape, FlexWatt. doesn't play around with any of that junk imitation stuff. Um, definitely check out ProTech Caging. Um, he may even become a sponsor of the show, too. He's thinking about it. So uh, he's going to be on soon. Um, actually, you know what? Next week we we have we had um, Blake Heroes from Blake's Exotic Reptiles scheduled. Uh, but I was talking to Blake recently, and he seems he says he's a little nervous about coming on the show. He's not really used to doing public speaking, and that's fine. So we may have to come up with an alternative for next week, uh, Tim. So just that it give you a heads up. So okay, maybe we can uh, you know maybe we can find somebody else. But I'm going to work on Blake see if he's up to it. But I'll, I'll keep you posted. But uh, all right, well, I guess we'll wrap it up. And uh, Tim, thanks for thanks for being the co-host, and thanks for joining the team, of course. And uh, we'll do it again next week. All right, have a good night, everybody. Talk to you soon, Dave. All right, later, bud. Talk to you soon. All right, folks, I'm gonna go ahead and play the outro, and I'll come back with my closing remarks. Hang tight, and then I'm gonna play a cool song, of course. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. Uh, that's right, folks, and don't forget to join in on the R-A-A-C-A raffle going on on Facebook. You can go to their page, R-A-A-C-A dot net, 
and also uh, go on the Gecko Nation group and get in on my raffle for the folks that buy tickets for the Racka Raffle. All kinds of raffles going on, so it gets kind of confusing, but participate, and you may just win something really cool. Um, closing remarks. Uh, you know, folks, um, I believe that each and every one of us has something in us that we're, or something that has an interest, okay, in the world that we're just super passionate about, so much so that it'll consume most of our thinking during the day, and uh, something that we're so good at doing and so so interested in that we can just keep doing it and not really be too concerned about the money and, you know, just, just do it for the love of it. And uh, some of you may not have discovered what that is yet. Uh, I know what mine is, and that's uh, herpiculture, all right? I sure as hell put everything that I can into it, and I try to do everything I can to inspire others. That's my whole my whole thing is trying to get more of you people out there inspired because I know there's folks out there that haven't found this yet that are going to stumble on one of our shows or stumble on my Facebook page or even on one of my YouTube videos, and they're going to be like, wow, look at those beautiful geckos. I want one of those. And then, boom, there's the next David Fine geckos or gecko ball reptiles or whoever. Um, you know, it's Ron Tremper. You, know, you, it, it, you don't know who's going to come into the game and do something incredible with it. But like we talked about tonight, it's just getting, we're just getting started in a lot of ways. And the future's wide open. We've had some just terrific founding fathers, two leopard geckos, okay, that we are so fortunate. Just, you know, first one that comes to mind is Ron Tremper, and there's a lot of others. Marsha McGinnis, a lot of great people uh, that have put so much. Kelly Hammock, um, JMG, uh, you know, Ray Hine, Paul Allen. These These breeders really put their heart and soul into what they are doing. And now we can, you know, proliferate that. We can, you know, take it to, to the next level. And uh, some of us are keeping some of those special lines just the way they are. And that's what I like to do with some of the stuff that I got from Paul is keeps them just the way they are. Uh, some of the projects have gone on and even progressed into better-looking animals, but to, to keep some of those just the way they are is special. And I think that's that's important for the future, too. So, folks, uh, bottom line is find find that thing that you're really passionate about. Maybe it's maybe it's advocacy, or maybe it's activism. Activism. That's what we need today. More activists, less slacktivists, and more activists. Uh, you know, find find that thing that makes you want to get off your couch and and go fight for something and get get in, you know inspire others and, and be a leader. Uh, not easy to find that thing, but when you do, you'll know it. All right. Well, I just want to thank everybody that tuned in tonight, all the chat room folks. I think we had like 20-some people. Great. Um, everybody that called in. Well, I think we only had one caller tonight, but uh, great question. And, uh, you know, to our sponsors, which are Dale's Bearded Dragons. Check them out at dalesbeardedragons.com and at all the Northeast Expos ranging from Maryland to New Hampshire. abdragons.com. Is your source for Dubia Roaches. Use the code GECKO, all in caps, at checkout. Get 5% off your order. The best Dubia Roaches in America. GeckoBoa.com. You just heard him, John Scarborough. Check out his amazing animals. Great stuff coming up from John, and uh, he's going to be doing a web update soon, so make sure you grab one of his awesome geckos. Uh, Supreme Gecko, Lolly Kern. Check out Lolly at uh, SupremeGecko.com. Great stuff. 
microgeckos, Crestes, supplies, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, OhioGecko.com, Fad also runs GeckoForums.net. So check out Ohio Gecko for some awesome tangerines, snows, and fat tails. Rainbow Mealworms, biggest worm farm in the world. Jillian Spence is the goddess of worms, and she will take care of you and make sure your worm dreams come true. I'm just kidding, but she runs an awesome business and really does a phenomenal job for the reptile community. And uh, we're lucky to have her and Rainbow Mealworms uh, on our side. So check out rainbowmealworms.net. Reptiles Express, if you're going to be shipping your animals, you're going to want to use the best company to get your FedEx labels from with the best customer service and the best rates, and that is reptilesexpress.com. If you're new to shipping, ask for Debbie Price, and she will help you out. Make sure you know what you're doing. Ron Tremper, the king of leopard geckos, or the godfather as we affectionately call him, is a man that pretty much gave us leopard geckos and Nobody's been more instrumental than him in giving us some amazing morphs and developing some just tremendously beautiful projects such as Bandits, Tangelos, Super Tangelos, now the new Pastel Raptors, and all kinds of cool super giants and giant stuff. So check out Ron Tremper at leopardgecko.com to see where morphs are made. All right, you heard him tonight. Keith Higgins, giantleopardgecko.com, has a lot of great, interesting projects, super-sized geckos, Diablo Blancos, all kinds of awesome stuff. Check out GiantLeopardGecko.com. And if you're feeding your insect-eating uh, reptiles, you're going to be wanting to feed them good, nutritious feeder insects that have been properly gut-loaded and basically nutritious themselves. You are what you eat. So are your animals. So make sure they're eating good and make sure the insects are eating good. So feed them the best chow there is, which is MS2, premium chow. And last but not least, in our newest sponsor, Longhorn Geckos. Mr. Daryl Burton and Cade Burton, his son, are new gecko breeders coming on the scene with some amazing morphs, uh, such as Tangelos, Super Tangelos, Pastel, Raptors, White and Yellows, and some unique wild types. So check out, oh, he's got some great bandits too. So check out Longhorn Geckos on Facebook with a website coming soon. That's Longhorn Geckos, folks. And Daryl will be my co-host soon for the show with Anastasia. He knows a lot about uh, arachnids, so I picked him for my co-host. Uh, I really don't know too much, so he'll be able to help me. All right. I'm feeling on top of the world. Great to be back on the air. Looking forward to talking with you all next week. Hope you like the show. Until next time. Love you, Gecko Nation.
I'm on top of the world, eh? I'm on top of the world, eh? 